The following podcast is brought to you by Ice Giant and their Pro Siphon Elite Cooler. It's also brought to you by Vite Ramen and their high-protein, delicious ramen products. And it is also brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com that gets you great deals on Windows keys and other products. You can find links in the description and the proper offer codes for all of these sponsors, and we'll talk about them later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host. Oh, my God. Let's go with Redwood plus Tom. I I couldn't even think of the weird hardware reference to call myself today as we have got quite a doozy of a script to go through, Dan. (laughs) Well, yeah, introduce yourself. Uh, I don't know. I'm uncreative, Dan, I guess, Tom. (laughs) That's fine. I mean, that's that's that, that just. You know, we're here, we're going to go through one of the longer scripts we've ever had for Broken Silicon as, yeah, I think we did the last news episode early, and so that makes it a little worse on us here, but then additionally, just the amount of hardware releases and and just leaks and news, I mean, I'll just openly say that, uh, um, you know, over the weekend, I uh, tried to have a little vacation, I saw Airborne Toxic event with a friend, and we were promised jetpacks with with uh, my girlfriend. Both bands killed it. If you have not, by the way, looked up uh, Airborne Toxico event and uh, we were promised jetpacks, which is an awesome Scottish indie band. Look them up there. They really don't come to the U.S. very often, so it was a pretty <laughs> big deal that I was actually able to see them uh, this time. You know, just while I was trying to relax on vacation, uh, and uh, while I was making my ankle stop working, uh, which it's it's been a whole other issue today. I've got several more leaks that arrived in my email address, and I was just like, with one of my friends, we mentioned him all the time, Brock, and I was just like, oh, good. Which, yeah. it's like exciting, the leak I got, but it's it's like, we more. will see if we have time to cover this next week before RDNA 3 is announced. Like, my God. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I haven't talked to you, actually, for a while. Um, how are you doing, Dan? How's your weekend been going? Oh, you know, I guess... Pretty good. I got a a nice, uh, cool looking oil burn on my arm, so that's fun. But <laughs> oh, how fun! Yeah, I I guess uh, be careful while you're cooking dinner, Tom. You know, that actually came up with my friends. We were talking about who learned from that. I'm not saying you're not one. You're one of these people, but who learned from oil burns? What not to do with oil in the kitchen? And I was like, I've got a pretty bad burn actually on my ankle. <laughs> Never got burned after that because I just was a little more careful. And one of my friends was like, it just seems like my wife's never really figured it out, like how to not get burned by oil. But well, I advise uh, you learn to do that because this is the first time it's really ever happened to me and it didn't feel great. <laughs> no, make sure you put something on that. I imagine it's pretty bad if you're mentioning it. Uh, yeah, there's like five burns on my arm right now. So, but is it not very big? Eh, I'll, I'll show it on camera if you. Those are the two worst ones. I got it about three days ago. So it's it's mostly healed now, I think. But for our listeners, it's like a couple like centimeter it's like one centimeter in diameter and two spots at most. So I think you're good. 
Yeah, yeah. And then there's a few more on up my arm more, but Well. Be careful, right. people. Trogaholic writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, Hi, Moore's Law's dead family. This is a question for Dan. Dan, how are you? I was listening to the latest Broken Silicon while I was on a flight at the exact moment you said shaky. Literally the exact moment, Dan, my plane touched down in a shaky way. So my question for you, Dan, is are you a mind reader or can you at least see into the future? This is too big of a coincidence for me to ignore. I feel like mind reader or I don't know if that's the right term. I'm sure there is a term mm -hmm. for it, I, though. I, I am a clairvoyant, which I... Mm. I think uh, we would use that should use that uh, ability more often for predicting leaks, but we're gonna do it the hard way. It just seems like in bad taste, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's if not we fair. like, if we open this Pandora's box, where do we stop? You know. Well, it's actually joking aside, it is funny if we could literally predict the future. I wonder how many of our leaks would get the same amount of criticism <laughs> as they do now, <laughs> because there are some things where people are just like, "There's no way." I mean, my favorite one was Alder Lake. There's no way Golden Cove and Alder Lake is going to bring whatever it was, 10 to 20% higher IPC. And I was like, this is like two, three years from now, guys. You don't think in two to three years, Intel, two to three, they could bring 20% more IPC than Ice Lake, really? Um, in 2019, everyone was under the impression Intel would never improve again. So, Yeah, well, <laughs> and now and now AMD's about to go out of business if you listen to some of these trolls. Uh, Spamsing. King of Sweden writes in and he says for die shrink from die shrink 85 regarding the Swedish chef conversation. So I don't remember how this came up. I, we were basically told by a patron to try to pronounce one part of a word from another language. Like we were the Swedish chef from the Muppets. Right. Yeah. And yes. we said, you know, isn't that character kind of like really offensive? Like, could you imagine a characterization of any other group of people that unabashedly that doesn't get a ton of hate? <laughs> And then we, I believe we said, let us know in the comments if this is offensive. <laughs> Spamptum says that his Mormor, which is his, uh, what is this? Which is his like mother and grandmother. grandmother from grandmother from Sweden. He says, when my mother would ask Mormor what the Swedish chef was saying, she would always scream, he's not speaking Swedish. So according to Mormor, that character is extremely offensive. <laughs> well, there All you right, go, Dan. Well, well, I mean, I guess we have a, a sample of one now, Tom. Could you Very imagine offensive. a version of that from like any country in Africa or Asia? Like the closest I can think of is some people, it's mostly New York Italians. People really like to play that up. They but do. And the Italians just don't really say the anything Italians about are just it. like, yeah, yep. We sound like that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure now in the comments, we'll find out if they have a problem with it. All right, let us now move on then to corrections. Uh, T-R-E-F-I troll writes in, he says, Hi, Tom, in your recent video, you talked about it seeming like some reviews for Raptor Lake were a bit biased using 6,800 megabit per second, or I guess mega transfers, I think what I'm told to say often, memory on Intel, but not on AMD. I know it looks unfair, but the IMC, the integrated memory controller on Zen 4, physically cannot run DDR5 to 6800 or anywhere near that stable so thank you for writing in troll but technically what i said or don't forget the caveat i threw in that video my i9 13900k analysis video where i said i'd like to have at least seen them try to run it higher or cover why they didn't or like try to get to some higher speed than 6000 um 
and like whatever they got to cover why it was hard to get above that and then use that in the test. Um, because, you know, I understand that it seems like Raptor Lake can clock DDR5 higher than Zen 4, but I am hearing mixed things about that depending on the reviewer I talk to. And even if 6800 is only doable on golden samples of Zen 4 or none of them, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What about 6400? What about 6600? I just wish more reviews would have just tried 6600 or whatever. And then just make it a one minute section of the video. Oh, we couldn't get above this. I feel like that's that's useful because otherwise, and this almost becomes a defense of Raptor Lake. It's it's almost like you're making it look biased. Like cover yeah. why you didn't. I, and I understand the reason, and we'll get to this later in the episode. I understand the reason reviewers use six thousand mega transfer or, or, or locked DDR five to six thousand speed is because AMD said that's the official speed of Zen 4, the one they recommended. But I don't think AMD would have been mad if you did a test and found it can hit 6,400 and then showed those results if it made AMD look better, which I'm sure it would give them at least a percentage more performance or something. So I, I just thought it was weird, both from the perspective of it kind of makes the websites look like fanboys, but also I, I just want to see like 6,600 versus 6,600 because we're talking about, and again, we'll get to this soon, low single diff digit differences in trading blows between Zen 4 and Raptor Lake. And when you have one that has RAM clock 10 to 15% faster, I, it seems like that's probably what's making the difference in half of these benchmarks. Not to mention that 6,800 RAM is insanely expensive. Everyone's making all these complaints about DDR5 prices. Then in the review, they just use like a, a DDR5 kit for Raptor Lake that costs a bar of gold. So I, I don't know. It, it just... That, Dodd to me. I think most of the reviews were clocked at 6,400. Maybe I'm wrong. They but, were. They okay. were. Linus Tech Which, Tip said they used 6,800. Okay. I, I, I mean, you can do the comparisons you want, but especially if you're doing like some degree of overclocking, I think it would be useful definitely as a comparison. Like, oh, can Ra Raptor Lake can hit these clock speeds, but uh, uh, Zen 4 can't. That, that is useful too. Or yeah. if, if that's the case, I should say. But I want to be clear, because I, I thought some people, I, I'm surprised more people in the comments didn't bring this up, but you know, he submitted this correction. I wasn't saying you could clock Zen 4 that fast. I was just saying it was weird they didn't try Zen 4 whatever max speed they got to. And I and I even put a caveat. I'm not gonna make any bold claims about this because I do hear Zen 4 may have low, like, you know, but it's like <laughs> it still seems odd to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carbon Cry writes in, and he says, In Broken Silicon 174, Tom, you shortly discussed competitiveness of Fishhawk Falls, opining that even Zen 3D may be too much for it to beat. But this chip has a captive consumer base and a key advantage, AMX. For AI work, this is as differentiating as NVIDIA's Tensor cores. And a lot of people will need AMX-capable workstations in Intel's products to develop software for Sapphire Rapids. The workstation market is quite peculiar in this. The price is irrelevant. The usefulness is what matters in a similar way to how some people just need Tensor cores from NVIDIA. And with AVX 512 and AMX, Fishhawk Falls should be able to compete very comfortably with Milan-based Threadripper, and even Genoa Threadripper uh, will have a tough fight on its hands. Uh, well, no, I, I, I definitely agree understand that carbon cry i'm just saying for a lot of other workloads i think milan x could probably do fine in hdt versus sapphire rapids and fishhawk falls not to mention we don't know the cost of fishhawk falls and that thing just looks expensive um but yeah we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves here um 
Rafa also writes in lots of corrections this day. Apparently, we're big dum dums, Dan. And he big says, Big dumb doidoys. He says, Hi, Tom. Re- I'm responding to the supply issues leading to inventory issues and prices falling. You very present, present, presciently nailed this in your second Daniel Nenny conversation in a recent broken or a somewhat recent broken silicon. And I think you should take the W for how well this conversation aged. Well, yeah, I, I'll put a link in the description for this. Um, I did actually, I don't remember why I did, but I think I got curious. And I looked up what I said in this, like, you know, I was like, oh, the shortages are ending. I wonder what I said with Daniel Nenny. And yeah, at the 22 minute 50 cent mark, pretty much everything that was said happened exactly in the order it did in the, even like to the month, which was, was very weird. So I don't know if that is a correction, though, with how harsh carbon cries being honest, I did want to throw in one of them <laughs> where they said nice things about us, which on that note. Carbon Cry writes in again, and he says, the De Beers diamond cartel that Dan spoke about is a hoax and has been for decades. De Beers today does not control the diamond supply due to new entrance into the market and expiring exclusivity rights. And and they've lost their mechanism for controlling sales prices of diamonds, even though many people continue to act like De Beers still owns the entire diamond market. He says the rising price of diamonds today is actually organic caused by depleting supply of natural diamonds coupled with a huge growth of demand, particularly from the P- the People's Republic of China and India. Dan, did you look into this at all? And like, Oh, uh, I think it's definitely overcharacterizing it to say it's a, a hoax. I mean, looking at it, so De Beers at one point controlled 90% of the market, uh, and they had a $300 million settlement in 2008. So... I'm not going to say that the the, uh, the monopoly isn't gone by now because it se- definitely seems to be so, but they controlled ninety percent of the market, or they reached ninety percent of the market, and they de facto had like all control of the market for over half a century. Right? So, when did they have ninety percent of the market? Like what decade? Um, I believe it was mid Soviet Union era, era was when they were okay. at their height. So like, but we're nowhere 50, near 60, that being 70s. true anymore. No, they control like. 30% of the market now, I think. So Okay, so... They've lost a lot of the market. Still a pretty big controlling share of the market, though. So this is just one of those things I'm I'm failing to think of one off the top of my head, but this is one of those things that people still keep saying, even though it really hasn't been true. It hasn't been true. Yeah, it hasn't been... The latest you probably could have said it's been true is probably like 2008, and that might be giving it a bit too much credit. But it's not a hoax. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like 2008 feels like very recent, but if we're being honest, that's like almost, almost 15, 15. Yeah, you know, it's almost 15 years ago now. And that's yeah. really when like Facebook and smartphones were taking over. So you could almost argue the the truly modern era, how things work now, kind of started in 2010 or around there. I mean, so yeah. I think it's fair to say it's just it isn't true anymore. And it's not like it stopped being true yesterday or something. Also, though, to be fair, as a whole cor- whole correction, it's kind of just making an offhanded remark to a reference that everybody understood. <laughs> I think everybody knows the De Beers price fixing crap, which they did do at one point. Right, it but was they a don't reference. Do anymore. You weren't necessarily saying it's still true now, <laughs> just that like, it was, and that's comparable to a recent thing we were talking about on Dyshrain. Yeah, it's not like we had an entire story about how De Beers <laughs> was still controlling the market, which would be a very weird story for this podcast. 
Well, you know, uh, Carbon Cry still had a problem with it, and you know he he <laughs> tends to have problems with some of our offhanded remarks. And I, I thought it was worth including this correction, though, because a lot of people do still make that reference, like it's still going on. So I don't yeah, know. that's true. Yeah, I guess I guess if you're buying diamonds and you think they're dumb and not very valuable, well, that dumb valueless uh, compound is now organically growing <laughs> yeah and you can't control. you can't hate it because of de beers you have to hate it for the other reasons you have to hate it because other gemstones look cooler we don't have time to get into a whole diamond discussion here guys but <laughs> i think we should move yeah. on to our first story which is story number one it already feels like this was a year ago uh but it is in technically to be included in this news cycle RTX 4090 reviewed and launched, and here is the write-up. On October 12th, the RTX 4090 launched following the review embargo from the previous day. In summary, the RTX 4090 easily brings roughly double the performance of the 3090 in rasterization when not CPU bottlenecked, which it is oftentimes. Funnily enough, the term Moore's Law said used to use often, roughly double the performance of a 3090 is a good way of putting it as some games see over double and others seem to fall short of doubling when a game engine bottleneck cpu bottleneck or really many other types of bottlenecks are involved and they are often involved although in ray tracing the 4090 impressed even further often doubling the rtx 3090 ti in ray tracing while running roughly at the same amount of power although that gets us to the most impressive thing about Lovelace, at least in this writer's opinion. If the 3090 Ti was a spiky and scary 450-watt GPU, the 4090 should be characterized as a safe and light 450-watt GPU. You can say light next to 450-watt. It seems that the power delivery on the 4090 is much more stable and less hard on power supplies than previously worried and much less of an issue than it was with the 3090 Ti. In fact, if you cap the power of the 4090 to 350 watts or even a bit less oftentimes, it usually loses a negligible amount of performance, meaning Lovelace can be the most efficient graphics card on Earth by miles if you want it to be in your system with the proper settings, that the laptop variants of Lovelace should be very impressive. Although, let's be clear, if you push the 4090 to 600 watts, it does become scary, and it's fairly understandable then, after the much testing we've read and watched online over the past couple of weeks, why NVIDIA has so far backtracked on launching Lovelace cards that are pushed to their limits at stock settings. Which, speaking of stock, the 4090 indeed had a high level of volume in its first week on release. Whereas Lazed was able to secure multiple 4090s for hours, which I'll put on screen, them in my cart, them being in stock hours after they came out, before canceling these orders, as all of the ones I was able to get into my cart would not fit in my case. And... There is one that will fit in my case, but that's going to be its own story and video and review. I'm actually doing this as part of a collaboration with a group, so we'll save that for that. But I do have a 4090 on the way. I was able to get one. It really wasn't that hard. And also, Moore's Law said knows multiple people that were able to buy more than one, and multiple micro centers have reported to Moore's Law said hundreds of cards being available, although somewhat briefly, really only in the first few days, because the fact of the matter is this. The RTX 4090 is selling well. Better than AIB is expected, according to people that I talked to, actually. They were taken aback by how well the 4090 is selling. And so there is no way around it. If it's hard to get a 4090 now, weeks after release, it's because they all sold out that quickly. And NVIDIA has really impressed enthusiasts that have the money to buy these graphics cards. 
Um, in fact, if you were to go back to the week uh, one launch, the 4090 multiple models made it into the top selling graphics card charts on Amazon. I believe some of them got as close as number four at one point, which is crazy for how expensive this GPU is. That means it's outselling GPUs that cost a third as much. Um, and uh, although we do have to put one more warning out there. Moore's Law Zed also recently leaked in a video that NVIDIA will be throttling supply occasionally in order to push people towards Ampere. So although the R4090 was widely available at launch, it sold out faster than NVIDIA expected, topping the charts of sales. And now that they know people want it, they're going to throttle supply every now and then to try to get people to buy up Ampere stock that's left over. All right. So, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about the 4090 reviews in a die shrink, but... I think we should at least cover it for a certain amount of time in the main news episode. And now we've had weeks to digest the launch. Like, all right, more and more videos have come out, not just for the founders, but also for AIB models. We've gotten to see what happens with sales. How are you feeling about the 4090, Dan? What are your thoughts on this card? Um, I think like as far as AIB launch is going, uh, go, I, I think it's kind of nice to see that... Um, at least for the most part, there aren't a bunch of models that are selling absurdly above MSRP. Obviously, you've got the uh, Asus. You refer to it as the spaceship that sells the for Star two, Cruiser. The Star Cruiser that sells for two thousand dollars for some reason. But it seems like most cards are kind of holding within one fifty dollars of the MSRP, which I don't know. Compared to last uh, last generation, that seems like a, a blessing. Yeah. Although, I do have to say, with AIB models, the existence of AIB models right now is they're in a weird place because it kind of seems like uh, NVIDIA and uh, AMD more and more so over time are kind of just pre-overclocking their graphics cards, uh, which kind of begs the question what the purpose of all of these uh, pre I mean, these pre-overclocked from the overclock models now are coming out where it's like you get better thermals. It performs five degrees cooler so you can get 3% more performance at 600 watts or something. Mark writes in <laughs> and he says, hi, Tom and Dan. After having watched a few reviews, it appears that the NVIDIA's RTX 4090 performance cap has been limited by locked voltage limits rather than overall power. This causes Adam Board Partner overclock models to not significantly outperform the FE equivalent models almost ever. Since the build quality of NVIDIA's FE model already appears quite good, what incentives are there for consumers to want more expensive AIB models? Has NVIDIA thrown its relationship with AIBs under the bus by limiting product differentiation, or overclocking potential in this case, and releasing an FE model of this quality that sells for less than most AIB models, even if not by much less? So, I think if if NVIDIA would have launched this thing at like 350 watts with a more modest cooler, AIB has sort of had a lot of room to differentiate themselves. And I don't know, maybe they could have sold this for like the same price as the 3090 and maybe we might have AIB overclocked models that reach 450 watts that sell for 2000. And I think the, they would justify their existence more as far as the relationships with AIBs go, I mean, the relationship between NVIDIA and AIBs go, this might seem like throwing them under the bus a little bit, but I don't know. It might, even though the nominal MSRP is a little bit higher, it might be better overall because I think 
I think it's kind of forcing AIBs to crowd all of their models around $1,600, or at mm-hmm. least this generation. I guess I don't know how that's going to work out going forward. But yeah, I guess it depends how you look at it. From the consumer perspective, it's like, good. I don't care how NVIDIA is doing it. He's making that they are making it so AIBs have to yeah. try to push their insane models to reasonable pricing. But if you look at it from the AIB's perspective, they're like, NVIDIA has a huge advantage in cost, scale, shipping, and mm-hmm. knowledge. They're able to make better coolers cheaper more easily than we are. And now we're just forced to make something that costs more, but try to sell it for less. And I, I don't know. The answer is just, yeah, that's, that is what they're doing to you, Asus. I don't know what you want me to say. I, I mean, I think what you might end up having is a a scenario where they start phasing out these like 40, these uh, $2,000 models. Like, what is this called? I can't ever remember the actual name of the model. The Strix model, mm. um, where it's like this massive cooler uh that from what you've told me i think is possibly too big heavy for motherboards in the first place and they might have to start phasing thing these things out because it's like they're charging you 20 percent, 25 percent more to get a card that's i don't know clocked like five percent faster or something and, and they're clocking it that much faster because that's all they can really get out of it i i'm guessing well And again, I think it's worth pointing out that NVIDIA was intending to ship with a 600-watt BIOS option, but decided Mm -hmm. it would just make them look stupid last minute. And if they had shipped with a 600-watt BIOS option, but they intended their founders to use 450 watts, this all makes sense. But that isn't what they did. And so I I do think in hindsight, if NVIDIA realized they might make that decision, they should have designed a two-slot cooler that probably would have cooled just fine. They cooled the 350-watt 3080Ti with a two-slot with the Lovelace enhanced-sized fan and the airflow enhancements. I have no doubt they could have cooled excellently at 350 watts and had 99% the performance of what they have now, and that would have fit in cases, and then AIBs could have done whatever they wanted. There's no way around that that's what they should have done in hindsight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I, <laughs> I agree. It definitely would have at least been better for the uh, AIBs for releasing all of their models, because we talked about this briefly. There was the um, MSI liquid cool model that they briefly uh, increased the price on. But then they backtracked. It's, it's hard 100- to say why. It, it, was it a mistake? They claim it was. I don't know. They, they, they say it was a mistake, obviously, but who, who knows? Uh, they increased the price of their overclocked water-cooled model by, like, I think 150 bucks, and then half a day later said that's a mistake and uh, refunded everybody that bought it at that price. Or refunded everybody the $150 or whatever it was uh, that, that bought it at that elevated price. So was that an accident or was that them... Te- not maybe not even necessarily testing the waters maybe that was them like okay i think we can sell this for higher and then the entirety of the internet getting mad at them so they decided to backtrack yeah yeah i mean i can't uh, there's an idea i've been throwing around in my head it's like okay well nvidia made these cards with insanely expensive coolers that now we know don't really need insanely expensive coolers they can still have nice coolers but they don't need to be like four slot stupid coolers that cost 300 dollars like 
I wonder if they would consider launching like a 4090E or they'll probably just call it the 4090 uh, 4080Ti. We'll see. But like they could launch a literally just call it the efficient version and say this one's capped to 350 watts and the MSRP can be lower because it saves like $100 on cooling costs. I do wonder if they consider something like that to compete with what AMD is coming with RDNA 3, which by all accounts costs less to make. And like you said, is probably what we're talking about NVIDIA should have done a 350 watt or less card where they let AIBs use 450 watts if they want to. I think the problem with that is uh, at a certain point, it's going to start competing with like the 4080, 16 gigabyte, I guess we'll still call it until we until we collectively forget about the 4080, 12 gigabyte. But <laughs> yeah, maybe. Trogaholic writes in and he says, are AIBs going to slap the same cooler they've made for Lovelace on AMD cards just like they did last gen? Or can AMD tell them to limit the size so it fits in our cases? These coolers are overkill and can barely fit in any case. If anybody makes the argument for their cards can actually fit in cases, uh, but and then we have these PS5-sized Asus Strix cards. They look a bit silly, don't they? I mean, I I, I would suggest AMD might, but I don't know. It, it, I don't know. We'll see. I think that there's no way around it. Some AIBs are going to put oversized coolers on RDNA 3 because they just, they will. They, they always do. Well, it's it's cheaper to do that probably than have a bunch of different models out for every different card when instead you can just say the be the uh, overkill model and release a bunch of cards with that same cooler or a barely tuned cooler version of that cooler instead of just having something that you know actually properly fits the uh why can't i think of what it, the 7900 xt or whatever they call it yeah i mean I guess the one thing I will say is I- I've talked to people at Micro Centers uh, and at a couple other retailers as well. There have been returns because the cards are too big. There really have been. And so I will say this really, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, really might be something AMD might want to market because it, it is a tangible problem this time. We have a couple of friends worrying about getting next-gen GPUs for their cases as well. And it's just so funny to look back at even a lot of small form factor cases that were like, Okay, well, let's leave extra room in the GPU chamber. Let, now let's just make it three slots as standard and then 13 and a half inches. And now they're like, oh, that's not what we need. Like some of these boutique small form factor cases thought they were doing overkill by making that like half of the case be enough room for the GPU. And now they're like, now it might even be two thirds of the case is the GPU. <laughs> yeah, it's just getting insane. And yeah. <laughs> Definitely measure your case, no matter what case you have, unless you have one of those goofy big cases. Um, make sure you're measuring stuff to make sure it can fit in, because I don't know that, especially the uh, the uh, Asus uh, Rogs ROG Strix thing. Like that thing is massive, and I don't know. Also, like. I don't know. Just be careful if you have that one. I feel like as I'm, I'm scared about that thing, like just breaking PCI Express. Uh, I mean, port. a lot of people are, but moving on from the size. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, Dan, you didn't say anything about performance. Did Lovelace impress you in performance? Oh yeah, we didn't. Um, yes, I, I, I think rasterization was pretty impressive and, uh, ray tracing was even more impressive. Like I, it's at the point where ray tracing is, I think, a feature that you would want to turn on in pretty much any game that has it now, or most games that have it at least. And with that in mind, I, I think RDNA 3 does have 
a lot of catching up to do versus RDNA 2. Um, because I think with uh, Ampere and RDNA 2, it was still a feature that in most games you could kind of be like, I don't know. Like, sure, ray tracing might look kind of cool in some games, but it's, yeah. I, I it's I get better performance with a 3090 than I do with the 6900 XT, but it's like eh, a lot of games it's still sub 60 FPS. Like I guess because everybody keeps talking about cyberpunk performance, like cyberpunk, it's still the 3090. It's still like 40 frames per second with ray tracing on. But now, I mean, you can get that pretty easily up to like 80 plus on cyberpunk if I'm remembering correctly. So yeah, a- AMD has a lot of room to catch up with because if if RDNA 3 can't compete in ray tracing and can't uh, make some big improvements with uh, FSR, I think I, I think at least top-of-the-line cards, the 4090 will be the one to get. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know in how... In a way mo- that you don't think was obvious last gen, though. Like- and In a way I don't think would necessarily be obvious until this card was out. <laughs> you like, know, Because like people would say, oh, the 3090 Ti was the strongest, but it was like is it you know <laughs> like yeah, at what exactly. resolution and now this so dwarfs 1440p that i la- like uh, that's something that i think is going to be interesting looking at this um compared to rdna3 because i still think there's a chance that what we might see in performance comparisons between rdna3 and lovelace is very similar to what a- ampere versus rdna2 was in that nvidia wins at 4k AMD wins in 1440p and 1080p in rasterization, but NVIDIA has a ray tracing advantage. The question is how much that ray tracing advantage is there because I think it's really going to become a huge factor when, I don't know if anyone really cares at all about the 1440p performance. Like, let's say AMD wins in 1440p by 10%, but loses 4K by 10%. I mean, we have games where you're getting 500 frames a second in 1440p. Yeah. Who cares? Right. That's like 720p comparisons with Raptor Lake, which I almost no one does anymore. I'm just saying as an example, like I not not gaming at 720p. Show me what the results are in 1440p. I I think 1440p will matter at like the 7700, 7600, 7700 XT versus the 4070, 4060 or wherever those cards end up falling uh, in performance, because I don't know, given how history goes, the 4070 will probably be a bit stronger than the 7700 XT. But um, with the with the forty ninety and what we'll see in a what not a, even a few weeks, how many like a couple weeks now? I guess with the uh, reveal of RDNA three, I think the only thing that will be interesting with the forty ninety and the sixty not sixty seventy nine hundred XT is going to be four K because, like you said, uh oh. In 1440p, the 4090 and 7900 XT with rasterization performance are just going to be hitting the like limit of <laughs> the of the engine and a quarter of games to begin with, and then two thirds of games they'll mm. be CPU bottlenecked. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if I'll get a chance to do an RDNA three thing because I think I keep telling people this. I feel like we know enough about RDNA three. I've told you guys what the performance is supposed to be. Angstronomics was the first to leak the majority of the specs, and at least I can back up the majority of what he said. So you guys basically know what you're getting. What we just need to see what AMD decides to segment and price these cards at, and we need to see what the ray tracing is. But the one thing I was going to say is maybe I will get this out. Is from what I'm hearing about ray tracing. AMD is making a bigger leap in ray tracing than ever before, a bigger one, relatively speaking, compared to even Lovelace. 
But L- Ampere was ahead of RDNA 2. <laughs> so if NVIDIA tripled ray tracing performance, which they did into most games, but even 2.5x, even if AMD like quadruples RDNA 2 ray tracing, they're still probably going to be a little bit behind. So yeah. I think they could. But that's the interesting thing is, are they only like 10% behind? When we turn on ray tracing, does AMD lose by 5% or do they lose by 20 or 30 or 40? I think it's really going to matter. Um, And QH Freddy writes in. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say just a quick tack on to that. And I think people say um, this segment, it, it, it only matters the specific segment you're looking in. But I do think there is something to be said, like, yeah, even if the 7900 XT outcompetes whatever segment it competes in, hopefully in between, I'm guessing in between the 4090 and the uh, 4080, uh, as far as ray tracing goes. But if the 4090 ends up having a like 20% win in ray tracing over the 6900 XT or something, 7900 XT. Don't know why I keep saying 69. 7900 XT. I think a lot of people are going to be like, I guess I'm gonna not going to get the 7900 XT. Like I, I want to max out everything. I'm just going to get the 4090, even if the 40 uh, 7900 XT competes more with the 4080 in a price segment. And that, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll see. I, I think what you were what that would mean is them trying to charge the same as the 4090 is out of the question. But yeah, if they charge a thousand dollars, Dan, that's the funny thing. Even twelve hundred, well, okay, same price as a forty eighty, Dan. Well, then everybody's going to beat that in ray tracing. <laughs> I think the forty ninety. Uh, what will happen is more people will buy a forty ninety, and no one would buy a forty eighty. But <laughs> which is a very possible scenario. Although this fall has been insanely busy for most members of the Moore's Law is Dead team, there's one team member who's been allowed to take it quite easy recently, and, well, unless you're Reesey, unless you're just a dog chilling on a fall afternoon, you could probably benefit from as little wasted time as possible, and you should probably then try Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a delicious, American-crafted source of protein and nutrients that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. This includes their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice while cooking, and their new Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether you're back in the office now or still just working from home. Vite Ramen, you'll never be too busy to eat. And if you click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSIL, Silicon, you can save 10% off a variety of different products, including special bundles for Moore's Law said fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and the Vite Go packages as well, and other cooking utensils and products. Whatever you'd prefer, using these offer codes really helps support Moore's Law is dead tremendously, and it gets you a good deal on a healthy, fast-to-make, and tasty, reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is dead. Try Vite Ramen today. Um, QH Freddy writes in and he says, do you think ADA and RDNA 3 will cause there to be a shift in the way developers optimize their games since just about everything it will be CPU bottlenecked under 4K? Do you expect big increases in graphical fidelity coming up or loss of optimization work to get higher frame rates working sensibly at 1440p? Or do you think it will cause a lot more people to start going for 4K? Well, I think more people are going to feel less scared to go for 4K the, the the problem, the thing that sucks is like the Ampere oversupply 
like and although this you know the 6900 XT is falling below $700 on Newegg in the US it's actually getting close to 650 right now so if the 6900 XT gets below 7 below 600 well yeah i mean that blows away 1440p performance as well so i think that with that perspective that's almost mid-range pricing then already even if it's last mm-hmm. gen and that means 1440p I don't know. Like the argument that 4K is hard to run is is very quickly going to be gone. So personally, do I think there will be more optimizations to like CPU efficiency? Yes, but they want to put more AI in the game. They want to put more enemies on screen. And what are we optimizing to do? Get to a thousand frames per second in 1440p? For which gamer? Who has a (laughs) 1000 hertz monitor? Those are coming. Don't get me wrong, but not now. And so if you're a developer, you would say, well, we always want it to be as efficient as possible. But if we unlock more CPU performance by coding efficiently, we might use that to put more enemies on screen. And I think there's no way around it. They are going to try to load up that eye candy for 4K. And I do think we are going to truly see some games soon where maybe besides ray tracing, because that lighting difference shows through at all resolutions, kind of. Like, we're going to start seeing some special effects, and I think especially particle effects, where you cannot tell the difference between particle effects unless you're in 4K. You need the latest monitor to see the detail. I think we're going to start seeing that because we clearly have the horsepower to do it. Well, and to <laughs> there's really nothing more to do with the increased like GPU performance you get at a certain point than, than do stuff like that because... Uh, until we start doing 4K 240 hertz gaming, I don't, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be much to talk about about with uh, increased frame rates because I don't know, no monitor can really even do that at this point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, no, I, I think the I think developers are going to be way less scared to use more ray tracing and uh, special effects in their games because clearly the GPUs can handle it now. Um, all right. Let us then move on to story number two, DLSS3 post-launch analysis. DLSS3 has finally had enough time to be scrutinized for a couple weeks. So is it magic? Well, as far as this writer can tell, DLSS3 seems useful for those that have at least a 160 hertz display and don't want to play competitive or challenging games which seems like a small group of people, those that game at 160 hertz or higher and aren't interested in playing competitive online games. But anyways, it seems like games like Flight Simulator seem to really benefit from DLSS 3 already, but others, for example, like F1, seem like a completely embarrassing showing with the artifacts that appear on screen and the horrible latency. This is more of a feature for those with fast monitors than a true FPS boost like FSR and DLSS offered to gamers. Could this change? Maybe. Maybe improved algorithms for reflex could throw more bad frames out more often, improving frame rates uh, and latency to a reasonable level by the time 480 hertz monitors are standard. But they're not standard right now. Right now, it seems like DLSS 3 is a very situationally useful feature. It is not a raw frame rate boost. So that's my write-up. That's my summary of DLSS 3 by looking at Hardware Unboxed and a few other websites. What would you say your opinion is on DLSS 3 now that we've had a lot of time for websites to really analyze it. I don't think my my conclusions on it are all that different from yours. I think it's a a, a feature like this sounds like a, a feature that um, 
with with some sacrifices to like graphical fidelity and latency or whatever sounds like an ideal feature for somebody that has a mid-range to low-end graphics card uh who wants to play at a high frame rate for competitive gaming and at the end of the day i think that's kind of the opposite of what this feature does is it makes single player gaming more smooth when you already have a really strong graphics card so to some extent i think this is a feature in search of a user because i just don't know what people benefit from it even if from like certain technical perspectives it's uh it is really impressive like uh DLSS three, or I should say, frame generation looks like it's one of the most impressive like frame interpolation softwares out there right now. Like compared to Adobe's ability to do it, it can do it. It, it, it like it's uh, orders of magnitude better than like Adobe's frame interpolation software mm-hmm. that they have in their suite. But it's like that's oh, not I gaming. Didn't see that, but I guess that's not surprising. I mean, I assume it, Nvidia put effort into this working better than almost but, anyone else. You know, but at the end of the day, that's not you can't game in Adobe, so that doesn't really matter. Or using Adobe, uh, so that doesn't really matter. It's just from a technical perspective, I think it needs to be said like, eh, this is really cool. It's just doesn't really benefit the user that much, or it doesn't benefit that many people, I think is the best way to put it. Because I don't think there's going to be a lot of people getting like a 4060 that will benefit a lot from DLSS because, oh, great, uh, F1 is like 40 frames per second with the 4060, and now I can play it at 80 frames per second with worse latency and a bunch of uh, artifacts that are really noticeable at a lower frame rate. So... If you play like a lot of Flight Simulator and seemingly Cyberpunk is really good on this feature with the 4090 DL, uh, DLSS3 or DLSS with frame generation is how I should put it seems to be the feature for you like on a hardware and box video on it if I'm remembering correctly like Cyberpunk really didn't have a hit in latency even compared to Reflex uh, with the 4090 which was impressive hmm. and I think does speak towards the hopefulness of the feature in the future because it seems to me like it's just like one of those things where what was an example i think there was an early dlss one or two example where it did look good in like final fantasy 14 but that's because their aa implementation was hot garbage or something (laughs) and so like yeah of course it looks as good they had horrible anti-aliasing i'd say that more speaks to how bad the latency is in the cyberpunk engine yeah, that's probably true. But like, you know, it, it, <laughs> that's probably true. But if there is a future where if this sp- speaks to the possible future of the de- uh, frame generation as a feature, if you're doubling frame rates and not hit hurting latency at all, eh, that's good. <laughs> like, you can't say there's really anything bad about that. Um, sure, you can say half the frames are going to have weird artifacts, but they're not really that noticeable. And it's like, most of those generated frames really don't even have that many terrible artifacts. It's just in when you're testing the margins of the artifacts that they produce, there's a couple of really weird ones, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, having those like half generated, those weird frames is at the end of the day at high, high frame rates, not that big of a deal as, uh, with the exception also of, ui elements which it seems like universally people that yeah did real analysis of ui elements are like this is 
this is bad and yeah, I, they I need mean, to improve that yeah I, I have to say with dlss3 i think too many people are focusing on so the latency is pretty horrible in a lot of games. Yes. But I think a lot of people will either try to hand wave that away and get stuck in the trenches in the argument about if the latency is a big deal or not. I think it's also worth pointing out that several analysis videos I watched said that if you are not increasing frame rate from above like 80 hertz, the artifacts are unbearable. And I know I have a frame of reference for this because... I have a free sync or I guess G sync when I'm using an NVIDIA card display <laughs> right now. I had a 144 Hertz 1080p monitor that actually still uses a side monitor as my main, you know, I don't know, seven years ago or something. And that, so I, I went a long time actually well into the G sync free sync era, not having G sync or free sync. It didn't matter to me because I just had V sync turned off, capped the frame rate at 144 Hertz. And I was so, it was so easy to run. 1080p locked at 144 or above 120 that the screen tearing did not matter. I did not mm -hmm. notice it in most games. There were a couple games where the screen tearing was so bad in its engine that I just had to turn on VSync, but most of the time I didn't. So I truly understand the perspective that at a high enough frame rate, minor artifacts are not seen in motion. But that motion is when you're rendering native, at least I would agree with what uh, Tim, I think on Hardware Unboxed said, above 80 hertz. And this idea that DLSS is, you know, useful for most monitors is up for debate. And I think that's the actual thing that more people need to be talking about here. This is not a card that turns an RTX 4050 into a 4K 100 hertz gaming card because it needs to natively be able, which it, maybe it will, we'll see, but it needs to natively be able to do 4K 60 easily for this feature to be worth it because the artifacts, I mean, it just throws mayonnaise on screen in some games when you switch <laughs> camera views or something. And, and, and like I said in the write-up, I think this is something that maybe NVIDIA can solve. Maybe with NVIDIA Reflex where it throws out some frames for latency reasons, it can throw out, it, they can improve their algorithm so it knows when a bad frame is going to pop up and just skips it. And that helps with latency. That also removes art, the worst artifact frames. I think Tim at Hardware Box actually pointed that out as well. But right now, that's not what it's doing. And so my problem with DLSS 3 is if it's not useful in a game unless you can do like 4K 80 hertz native, it's not a lot of graphics cards. And that's not a lot of displays that can even use that at 160 hertz or higher. Well, uh also, when we're talking about the uh, when we're talking about the forty ninety, a big limitation of it is that its display outputs can only reach a, what is it four K one twenty hertz, right? I mean, uh, they can get higher than that. Okay, they can. Uh, okay, well, and we will talk about that in an upcoming okay. <laughs> story. But uh, there's just not a lot of room for what DLSS at least. It, their first implementation of frame generation, there's just not a lot of room for what it's offering you because I guess we'll see how it looks with the four, when the 4070 and 4060, 4060s get reviewed. Mm -hmm. In two uh, years from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking mostly. mostly. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how frame generation looks with them, but it's like if they all say when it's at 40 Hertz, it's an artifact DMS. I'm, inclined to agree with the people that have actually been able to use it because that's the other big problem with even discussing dlss3 is most people discussing it haven't been able to see it themselves firsthand and a limitation of youtube is that you can only display 4k 60 hertz 
So and a lot have to, of those videos where they're doing that, they're slowing it down. And so it's like 60 hertz native. And it's like, so what? The native was running at 15 frames a second. This is unplayable. Why are you even bothering to show this? Yeah. And it's just you can't actually show what it looks like in motion either at like 4K 120 hertz because you can't display 4K 120 hertz on YouTube. So they have to slow it down by two. And then someone can say, well, you're slowing it down by two. You're making the artifacts more noticeable. It's like, yeah, we are. But there's no real other way to actually convey all the information to you yeah that's why i'm excited to try it on my own i think i do own a few games where you can use it uh, so we'll see what i think um but yeah i guess so then overall what i think about dlss3 one more point too about it they often show native relative to dls3 to show the performance increase and if you are to account for dlss like and the, every, most people like it is noticeable even if you ignore half of the artifacts it is noticeably worse image quality the whole claim to flame with dlss3 isn't that it has the same image quality nvidia openly says it's noticeably worse it's that it can give you an insane frame rate okay but if we're allowed to we should be allowed to compare it then to methods of upping the frame rate with a slightly noticeable drop in image quality mm-hmm. i wouldn't typically game in 4k with dlss ultra performance mode but in some games dlss performance mode isn't totally noticeable all the time so i get i resent these graphs nvidia is putting out there where they're showing dlss3 like triple frame rates compared to native and it's like yeah but what about compared to you're in 4k what about compared to dlss Mm -hmm. performance mode not even ultra the difference is like 30 or 40 percent in a couple games and i'm like well, so what, what? So what? Now I'm going from 180 to 200 hertz. It, I just don't think it's useful now because anytime you can, besides a handful of examples, anytime you would use DLSS3, you could be using DLSS performance mode, which doesn't have the latency problem and probably has similar image quality, if not better. Yeah. And, and at the end, at the end of the day, how DLSS stands right now is I feel like DLSS is just being used as a feature to, to, show a bigger number which is the number we most commonly talk about and it's using other at least how they stand right now better features as a crutch to to with reflex to fix the latency issues and honestly just the other aspects of dlss uh, image upscaling to like i don't know kind of make launder a higher difference in frame rate than you actually have with dlss off because like you said with performance mode on DLSS, oftentimes you're still getting the majority of frame rate gains you would get with frame generation with also benefiting latency still. <laughs> yeah. Amy Will Chief writes in and he says, why didn't or couldn't NVIDIA implement one or more sharpening passes at lower FPS for frames inserted via DLSS to counter blurriness? And I would say, well, it's not just the sharpening. Like they literally like, if you switch camera views from like first person to third person in an airplane, they like it's it's not blurry. It just like yeah. like like you said, a dolly picture appears because it doesn't know what to do. So there's a bunch of things they need to do, not just blurriness, to fix DLSS three. And I guess like my whole thing I want to say here, Dan, is like for me, it seems kind of like DLSS one all over again, where they rushed out a feature in order to use something that's not meant for gaming. Before it was when they implemented Tensor Cores with Turing. Mm-hmm. Now they have a Flow Accelerator, guys. The flow accelerator isn't to help gamers. It's it's for use on other things. And, oh, they're like, well, we can use it for this novel thing for gaming, so let's do that. But it's just a little rushed and early. 
Having said that, DLSS 3, I think, is more useful than DLSS 1 because DLSS 1 was, in my opinion, literally always useless when it came <laughs> out because it looked horrible and was never better than just, you know, scaling resolution or something. Uh, but at the same time, even though DLSS 3 actually has useful use cases now, I don't think its peak potential is the same as what we've seen with DLSS 2. Which an interesting point, I would say, is, well, they say they need the flow accelerator, but they've gotten, I have a link in the description, they got Turing running DLSS 3 to some extent, even if it doesn't run as well. And we did eventually find that DLSS 2 benefited when they stopped using the tensor cores as much. So mm -hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of comparisons there. My overall point, though, is I think this could become a really, really useful feature once they improve the algorithm, once 480 hertz displays are more common, so there's a point in using this, uh, and uh, once... They, they have a better method of throwing out the frames we don't want to see and improving latency that little bit better. Because if they could at least get it to the point where you could go from like 4K 120 to 4K 240 and the latency didn't really increase or something, or in fact, because Reflex was able to throw out more frames, what if it was actually slightly better than running at native 120? No, it's not the same as gaming at 4K 240, but it could be a very cool feature. But it's just not there yet. And right now, I'm just like you, the word you use, launder. I'm worried they're going to launder lower end graphics cards as high end, like they tried to do with the 4080 12 gigabyte. Yeah, which uh, I don't know. I think everybody instantly saw through that graph that they put out, which to be fair, they did show that graph uh, with uh, at least honest numbers. So everyone was like, you're, we know what you're doing here. <laughs> well, yeah. And that brings us. To story number three, RTX 4070 details leaked following the RTX 4080 12 gigabyte unlaunching from NVIDIA. So I have a write-up here. On October 14th, NVIDIA unlaunched the RTX 4080 12 gigabyte, as they said. The 4080 16 gigabyte is still going to come out, though, on November 16th. But for now, NVIDIA has no plans for other models uh, that will have the 4080 name. And Moore's Law Z actually reported more in leaks in the description. In summary, the 4080 12 gigabytes ceased production before it really actually started production. So AIBs aren't mad about this cancellation. They weren't they didn't lose a bunch of money on this. In fact, AIBs that Moore's Law's Dead spoke to said they were happy that they won't have a graphics card out too soon competing with their existing Ampere stock. Also, according to AIBs Moore's Law's Dead spoke with, uh, and a couple people at NVIDIA, there are no current plans to rebrand the 4080 gigabyte exactly as a 4070. That 7,680 CUDA core, 21 gigabit per second configuration that was going to be used for the 4812 gigabyte is, as far as we can tell, flat out canceled. And that is because announcing a 4070 or 4070 Ti with the exact same specs as what they were going to give the 4812 gigabyte, well, it would admit that NVIDIA was literally trying to sell a 4070 for $900 and thought we'd be too stupid to notice. So basically what NVIDIA is likely to do is cut it down by a tiny amount and say it's different specs and launch it as a 4070. But that's not coming anytime soon, uh, which was also confirmed in a Moore's Law Z 4070 leak where pictures of the RTX 4070 founders were shown off uh, and was also confirmed that it's basically a more compact RTX 3080 cooler that will be used on the 4070. But even though it's a little smaller, it has a bigger fan than the 3080 had with better airflow and there's no evidence this thing is launching anytime soon. I actually have gotten more updates since <laughs> that leak came out. There, there's no evidence the 4070 is coming anytime soon, people. So I, I just, 
We'll see what they decide to segment it as, but I would just say in one quarter to half a year, NVIDIA will probably at least paper launch something that is basically a 4080-12 gigabyte if RDNA 3 is competitive. If it's not, they may just cut it down to 10 gigabytes and make it 15% weaker and say, oh, you just don't get the full card and this one's 700 or something and then use the full dies for mobile design, which, yeah, they, they could just use those for mobile anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. What did you... I combine these stories because we have way too much to discuss, and they, I do think they are related. What do you think about the 4080 12 gigabyte unlaunch and the 4070 pictures and you know release dates that were leaked? Ah, uh, you know the the 4080 12 gigabyte was uh, it's, it's such a freaking weird card. I, I kind of feel like its existence was just to show that the 4080 was actually nine hundred dollars when they initially uh, revealed uh, Lovelace. I, I mean, I, I don't think they had plans on not launching at all, but I'm curious if it was going to be another one of those uh, non-existent volume situations that we've had a few times in the past uh, generation uh, to advertise a lower price or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think if the, they disable uh, 40, 80, 12 gigabytes with, by like, I, I don't know, 5% and call it a 4070 and sell it for $700 or whatever, uh, that'll be fine, and it'll be different enough for them to say, no, don't worry. The fo- I mean, we'll see through it, but they can make the, the claim. The, the 4080 gigabyte was not exactly this car. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though, at the end of the day, it's going to deliver, like, it's still going to be a 3090 competitor in performance. So, and, and so far, I still hear that. 4070, whatever it is, you know, it's not coming anytime soon. M- more Ampere stocks coming. They need to get rid of Ampere. What I'm saying is, when you say, you know, would it have been available? No. The the only reason it may have been available is because they could sell it for 900. If they can't, I don't think so. And and I think as things stand now, assuming uh, from like the 3050 to the 3090, uh, they have at least a decent number of those SKUs still available for purchase. So like 3050, 3060, 3070, 3080, and 3090 or 3090 Ti. As long if they keep selling them as a single unit with the 4080, uh, 16 gigabyte and the 4090, they they pretty much have top to bottom, low end to high end. Uh, uh, assuming they can keep Ampere mm-hmm. at a not incredibly stupid pricing, which Ampere's at a weird out of whack pricing right now. It seems like on Newegg, but hopefully yeah, that settles I, I've down. noticed that too, but. Like the, the, but I, I think if they can get the price of the 3090 Ti down to around $900, $1,000, I mean, what they'll say is, yeah, there's no 4080-12 gigabyte, but here's essentially a 4080-12 gigabyte with twice as much RAM. Or maybe that will sell for closer to $1,100 or something still. But Well, what I think is more likely, and let me see here. I think I have that. Yeah, in the wrap-up, I do have something about the 3060 Ti GDR6X edition coming and i and I, I i'm not allowed to talk about some of the other models i've heard but let's say i'm hearing about more variations of 3060s 3060 mm-hmm. ti's 3070 ti's that are coming down the pipeline some of them have been leaked by other people at least one i know of i don't think i see anyone else talking about but all of this is to say i think they have ga 102 cards on the market now that they're desperate to get rid of before rdna3 launches i'm saying 3080 through 3090 ti and once the existing stock is gone I do think their plan is to disable 3080 dies 
into 3070 Ti so that at least they can use a 3070 Ti board and less RAM, which costs less money, and maybe just try to price cut that to 500 and then price cut or, or de facto do a price cut on the 3070. That is, disable 3070s into 3060 Ti's, give them GDR6X, sell that for 400 and then sell cheaper versions of 3060s, whether 8 gigabyte or others, you know, down as close to 300 as they can get. And that's how they're going to try to dump it. But they don't want to do it yet. They have these dies that would be a complete waste if they couldn't sell for more as more enabled GA102s. And I think they're just going to try to get rid of that and they will launch the 4070, depending on how good RDNA 3 is, when they can finally justify dumping the rest of Ampere into disabled versions below 500 and launch the 4070 for 700, if that makes sense. Yeah, it it does. I mean, I really don't think there's a a reason to launch... uh, I don't think there's a reason to launch... uh, 8104, whatever that iteration that ends up looking like, until GA102 is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, or until they can find or, a way to try to dump it as something else, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, it, it, the, it, it doesn't seem like GA102 can really be sold for that much l- lower pricing than they're already selling it for. So having a 4070 out competing with, with the 3090s that are still available on the market. might just mean that Ampere stays collecting dust on shelves for longer than they want it to. Well, well, I mean... It's not collecting dust yet, I guess. But uh, it will be collecting dust, I guess, if they launch 8104. Yeah, there's so much stock. I just, you know, the, the bomb cost for the 3080, if you remove two gigabytes of RAM for it, put it on a cheaper board that requires less power and just clock it lower, disable it to a 3070 or 3070 Ti, I think they can get it to where they can sell it at, you know, above cost at like $500 or something. But that's what they probably are going to have to do. They just, they're not going to do it until they need to. And I think that's all of that's probably going to happen in quarter one once they reassess how much stock they have left to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, Tech Killed Me writes in and he says, Tom, do you think the 4080 gigabyte was unlaunched due to lackluster performance? Just going off the 4090 benchmarks as a baseline and the amount the 4812 gigabyte was cut down in cores, or that really cut down from that. It te- just how much less cores than yeah, it had yeah. compared to the 4090. And the bandwidth, it seems like a situation where the 4812 gigabyte could actually be performing close to a 3080 Ti or even a regular 3080. Yes, mm-hmm. I think it would have in raw raster. Is with it being branded as an 80 series card, you would have had reviewers comparing a brand new generation that performs basically the same in raster for more money. Thoughts? I think they were just hoping people wouldn't notice because of DLSS 3. People certainly noticed. I think they were intentionally not misleading or as misleading as they could have been in that chart because they're like, let's let's show them what the actual raster difference is. Everyone freaked out and they said, it's going to get bad reviews, cancel this thing. And, and I think they did this because they really don't want to launch it. They don't want to launch yeah. it unless they think the MSRP or the, or should I say, the street price would have stayed about I, 900. I think they saw it wouldn't have. I mean, hell, how... They they put out that uh, benchmark like a couple days. They put that benchmark out like right before they cut the the 4080 12 gigabyte, didn't they? It's not right before, but it was like a day or it's two. Pretty before. close. Like I, I, it, that's one of those things where I wonder if that was a testing of the waters. Like how mad, how mad are people going to be about this? And mm-hmm. eh, it, it it certainly didn't look good <laughs> that benchmark. Well, and again, and I think people 
try to characterize this as well, Nvidia heard gamers and 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 like responded. And it's like, no, I think you guys gotta understand, they don't want to sell this card until they've sold out of Ampere. So I think they said we need to make sure the MSRP or the street price will stay above MSRP. They put out some feelers. They're like, oh, I don't think it will. I think it's going to get horrible reviews. They're like, well, if it's not going to stay above MSRP, this is just going to compete with Ampere. We're not launching it. They did this to mm-hmm. not launch something they didn't want to, not to a response to gamers, in my opinion. But um, all right, Bfish36 writes in and he says, I'm not sure if you have any info on this, but you alluded to it in your last video. I'm not sure which one he's referencing, but he says, last gen Ampere laptop GPUs were mostly 104 dies at the top, with the heavy sarcasm of the 40, 80, 12 gigabyte being a 104 die. I don't see NVIDIA giving the 104 die to laptop. There was a 106 and 107 die in the NVIDIA league. Could you see them using the 106 uh, for to bring us 30% more performance, Jennifer Jen? No, 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 no. They will be using 8104 in laptops. <laughs> in fact, I think they will be for sure using 8103, just like they used GA103. It's all about the size. Can they take a die? The limit seems to be around 500 millimeters squared for fitting this into desktop replacements. So as long as they're below that, and they definitely are, they're definitely launching these to laptop. Which, on that note, let me see here. QH Freddy writes in and he says, would NVIDIA putting the brakes on desktop 8104, at least for now, mean that it is also going to be delayed on the laptop side? Or can we expect them to push it out as a mobile part and see desktop 3080 performance come to laptops uh, before the end of the year? Um, I don't know about before the end of the year. I don't have a timeline on it, but absolutely. I think there's a very good chance that at a minimum, even if they paper launch the 4070 in quarter one, 90% of that volume is going to laptop because you have to think about what you're competing with. On desktop, people don't care if your graphics card uses 300 watts. Launching a 300-watt Lovelace card that beats 350-watt Ampere cards by hair isn't that impressive. (laughs) Launching a... You know, I mean, we've seen that if you cut power consumption down by 40% on the 4090, it keeps like 95% of its performance. It's totally reasonable to think that that 285 watt, 4080, gigabyte, if that just becomes the laptop 4070 at about 100 watts, they could fit that into some thin and light 15, not maybe not thin mm, and light, but light now. not light, but maybe thin <laughs> gaming laptops that are 15 inches. And they're like, hey. Hey, they might even be able to argue on average, it's especially if you turn ray tra- even low ray tracing on, you got 3090 performance in a laptop now with the laptop 4080. I think yeah. for sure that's what they're going to do because yeah. why would you put most of your volume to desktop if it's just going to compete with Ampere? On laptop, it's not competing with Ampere. Yeah. It's an entirely new class. I mean, yeah, a- a- as it stands right now, uh, 8104 seems a lot more enticing on, on laptops. Maybe that will change six months from now but a- a- as things are right now i i I, th- I think they would rather have 8104 on laptop absolutely um tmc payton writes in and he says howdy tom and dan when is the earliest an rtx 4060 uh using 8106 uh specifically could launch it sounds like ampere oversupply is the chief limiting factor but i haven't heard anything about validation Thanks. Yeah, you haven't because it's not coming, guys. Like people keep asking me, when is the 4060 launching? I mean, Next look, year? I, if they really wanted to, I bet they could do a paper launch with very limited sampling, like end of December. But it doesn't matter. Whatever they paper launch, I don't think you're seeing any good 4060 supply till mid 2023 at the earliest. I, I, I mean, 
depending on how long Ampere stock persists, like I could imagine a forty sixty doesn't come out until like late next year, even. Yeah, like, assuming what's we follow, assuming we follow a similar release cycle, or hell, it might even get more stretched out than what uh, the uh, this last cycle was. Yeah, I, I could see the forty sixty taking nine nine to twelve months to come out versus uh, the forty ninety. Who knows? Because like, let me open up my old summary of like the dies that i had from my early leak this year yeah so i think 8106 you're gonna be looking at something that could get around 3070 performance for yeah one two around there for sure with better ray tracing perhaps and you know that type of thing they'd probably want to sell for 400 and it's like but there's 3070s around there now tell those are gone i don't see why they launched this thing yeah exactly um shredbird writes in and he says hey dom and tan very mm. funny given the unlaunched 4080 gigabyte offered 4080 class performance at 900 do you think if amd fell short of the 4090 by 30 percent, they could market it also as a 4090 class competitor <laughs> furthermore maybe intel hit its mark by achieving 3070 class performance based on this rule as well perhaps even more in next-gen games that use xe super sampling not those old inferior technologies that only uh that intel cards have access to this is a very sarcastic post but i mean i don't think so i don't think amd would i think we all are all talking for like 30 minutes about how this was a failed attempt by nvidia so why amd would try it i don't know but it is funny <laughs> to think that if they call the 4080 12 and 16 gig the same card and they're like 30 percent apart then even if amd loses by 30 percent, why can't you call it 4090 class by by their own rules we're just gonna stretch this out into the most absurd uh, we're just gonna stretch out their our claims so they're as absurd as possible uh two generations from now where yeah listen the the 8700 xt offers 5090 class yeah. uh, performance exactly yeah uh, this fall, where you're trying to stay warm and avoid scary activation fees for Windows software, consider using CDKeyOffer.com. CDKeyOffer.com is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead and its community for any time anyone in this community needs legitimate Windows keys and doesn't feel like paying excessive monopolistic licensing fees to get access to them. But that's not all they offer either. They also have great deals on PlayStation, Steam, Origin, and Uplay keys, and physical products like gaming chairs and keyboards as well. They are always running sales, but make sure you use the best codes possible provided for the Moore's Laws Dead community. Use the link in the description or on screen, and then use the code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows codes or die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. This really does help Moore's Laws Dead when you use these keys and click these links, and it helps you pay reasonable prices for products that let's face it you just kind of need sometimes and you don't want to overpay for go to cdkeyoffer.com today all right well let us now move on to story number four kyle bennett moore's law is dead in kepler confirm rdna3 supports display port 2.1 right before vesa announces the new standard so on October 12th, Kyle Bennett of Hard OCP fame posted confirmation that DisplayPort 2.1 would be supported in an RDNA 3. 
It's got Moore's Law's Dead digging. You see, previously, Moore's Law's Dead only confirmed at least DisplayPort 2.0 would be supported by RDNA 3. But to be clear, half of our sources literally said the number 2.1, but this was met with suspicion because it hadn't been officially announced yet. And in fact, even some contacts at AMD were a little surprised by this. However, after seeing Kyle double down on this, Tom did some more digging and eventually confirmed the same day that this was true. AMD would have a two to three times bandwidth advantage in DisplayPort bandwidth over Lovelace, depending on how you count it. And then Besa fully confirmed it. Quoting from PC Gamer, DisplayPort 2.1 essentially replaces 2.0. The revised spec aims to improve alignment and integration with USB 4 and Type-C connectors. It means DisplayPort signals are better able to coexist with USB data while delivering increased efficiency. In terms of resolution, DisplayPort 2.1 remains unchanged from 2.0. A UHBR 20 connection can deliver 75 hertz at 8K uncompressed or over 240 hertz at 4K. That's with 10-bit color depth. Though refresh rates will be a little lower for HDR10 content, 8K at 60 is still possible. With 8-bit depth, maximum refresh rates are higher and even higher again with DisplayStream compression, right? Because this is a thing is... They're not even sure how high a frame rate they could get with display stream compression, some of these resolutions yet. A 16K display at 60 is possible, though, with DSC. So there you go. And uh, yeah, that was uh, an interesting one. It actually explains it, too. It's most about standardizing things, standardizing which cables you need to use, you know, making sure it's compatible with other interfaces. That would explain why AMD, some AMD contacts weren't aware of it, because from a physical layout perspective, it's, it's the same, 2.1 and 2. Oh, okay. So, um, but yeah, I mean, what did you, this is something I think worth talking about a little bit here. What do you think about RDNA 3 supporting DisplayPort 2.1? Well, NVIDIA is limited to, I think, 1.4a, at least right now. Uh, I, I think like, at, I don't think this is like something that's going to kill the 4090 unless the 7900 XT just blows its performance out of the, or it blows expectations out of the water and just essentially matches a 4090. But I, I think it does highlight the really weird decision it was to only have a 1.4a display output for uh, the 4090. I, I don't think it's going to matter all that much for most people, but like when you have a, when you have a card that can push frame rates at 4k that are that high, having a display output that can't do that is kind of is, is very odd. And I think it's good that uh, RDNA 3 is going to use that, even if it's probably pushing those numbers to a lesser extent than uh, Lovelace. Well, and let's be clear now, you know, one of our friends just got a new a uh, 4K 144 hertz monitor. It comes with a 170 hertz mode. You know, he's using DisplayPort with it. It works fine at 144 hertz, I believe, in 4K mm -hmm. right now. So it's all good, you know. I, this won't affect me at all. I have a 4K 120 hertz monitor. You know, and I don't think it will 49. affect. It won't affect most people getting a 4K. Well, not, none of these monitors support DisplayPort 2.0 or 2.1, anyways. Yet, yeah, yeah. But these generations will last over a year, and there's no way around this. Like a year from now, AMD will be able to market RDNA 3 as supporting new monitors that NVIDIA can't, at least with DisplayPort, has HDMI 2.1, which is capable of really high refresh rates, but I, I see this as a, as a, a like, you know, 
Uh, it's all the little things. It's like death by a thousand cuts here. Like if they tie performance, let's say, and again, uh, we'll have to see. I think they're going to be close. But if they literally tied 4090 and 7900 XT performance, but NVIDIA has like a 20% advantage in ray tracing or even 30%, AMD could go more efficient, fits in your case, don't need a new power supply, and future-proof on future monitors. And by the way, we went in 1440p. So when those you know, 300, 400 hertz 1440p monitors come out, guess who can support them and can't? Them. Yeah, and I think that right now, it's pro- for people buying right now, pro- might not consider it as much of a selling point. But a year from now, uh, as people are starting to buy those uh, displays that have uh, DisplayPoint port 2.1, um, yeah, that's going to be a thing that makes uh, RDNA 3 age better than Lovelace. Just it's going to be, <laughs> you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's not much to say about it. Like that's an advantage it has over it, even if. Once again, literally the second nobody is really benefiting from it. And I, I still think it's a relatively minor thing because I, I, I'm i sure the follow-up to Lovelace is going to have display point 2.1. If they don't, that would be even more absurd, but... Oh, they will. If this is... Yeah, I know. This is just a a kind of stupid oversight, though. Yeah, and then... You know, let me see here. Adrix writes in and he says, hey, just wondering if you know anything new about the 500 hertz monitors announced months ago. I'm expecting to see some marketing with the 4090 launches. Over 500 frames per second was shown in presentations for Valorant. And, well, DisplayPort 1.4 shouldn't have any problem with that, though, right? Well, you guys have to remember, Lovelace supports HDMI. And I'm sending you a link here via Suncaster, Dan. Um, and I have it pulled up next to me. With HDMI, I don't know which monitor you're talking about, Adrex. I I, su- I think you mean a 1080p one. If you do, with HDMI 2.1, you can go up to, even with 10-bit color, according to this link, 500 frames per second in 1080p. So you shouldn't be using the 4090 for 1080p, in my opinion, actually, <laughs> which is the funny thing. You, you really should wait for RDNA 3, but it's because I think the 4090 will have trouble hitting 500 frames per second in 1080p in a way. perhaps. The 7900 XT won't. And I want to also be clear about this. You know, I've redone testing with my 3070, which I don't have anymore, but like with a 3070 and a 6700 XT and a 6750 XT recently on my Alder Lake system. Soon I will the Raptor Lake system, which I have a Raptor Lake CPU behind me there. And I will say, once you get into some of these newer CPUs that are better than like Zen 2 and stuff, there are times where (laughs) RDNA 2 really pulls ahead of amp here in a couple games in 1080p so i would just recommend remember they have hdmi 2.1 but if you're in 1080p or 1440p you're probably just going to want rdna 3 anyways yeah i i think you're right i mean i guess we'll see how how it turns out i i think the idea of a person buying a 4090 for 1080p is a little bit funny but there are going to be people that do that for for the ultimate gaming ring but (laughs) but i do think this is a reminder though here yeah. Is this an advantage for RDNA 3? Yes. And is it a good advantage for them to have, considering they might have an advantage at lower resolutions? Yes. This is a good thing to pair with RDNA 3. But let's remember, there's no DisplayPort 2.1 monitors out now. There will be in the future. This is an advantage for AMD. But they, you do have the one HDMI 2.1 connection. I'm looking here what this can support. Uh, HDMI 2.1 can support, with 8-bit color, 180 frames in 4K, 150 frames. Uh, you can do... 1440p up to 380 hertz almost so 
it is limiting because there are some games in 4K, 1440p where they can hit 500 hertz, but it most of the time won't be an issue. But mm-hmm. I do think it's more of an issue than it was with previous generation, and it's one I expect AMD to market. Big Boss yeah. 69 writes in, he says, hey, Tom and Dan, I was wondering realistically how much performance loss would we see using a 4090 on older systems? I'm running a 9900KF at 5.1 gigahertz on a Z390 motherboard, which, of course, has PCIe 3.0, and I have a 3080 Ti. Due to the slower CPU, relatively speaking, compared to the insane beast we have today, the older PCIe expansion slots, I was wondering if I put a 4090 in my rig, would I see a major loss in performance? For reference, I game at 4K 120Hz. Bonus question, what sort of performance gains will we see compared to the 30 series with the new 2x8? Well, let's, let's, let's try to limit it to a few questions here. Anyways, thanks for the content and sending my love to Reese and you all. Well, thank you for writing it in. I'll Give Reese an extra hug tonight for you. Um, I would say uh, you're probably fine at 4K 120 hertz, but again, it's going to limit it in some games, man. Like, I, yeah. like it is. You have Skylake architecture, but eight cores of it clocked really fast. There will be games where, especially in a year, you get like a 10% or something loss at 120 hertz. Most you won't, though, and there's always a bottleneck in your system. And again, I have to point this out too. Remember, you can get the 4090 now and then upgrade your CPU later. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I see some stuff with people like that are running somewhat older CPUs now where it's like, well, should I even get a 4090? And like, I don't know if you have a <laughs> if you have like a truly old CPU, like, I don't know, 7700K or something like that, maybe upgrade the other stuff in your system first. But I, I think a 9900K is probably a bit underpowered for a 4090, but it's not like it, you're going to get nothing out of getting a 4090 if you have that. Uh, although I would recommend considering upgrading your system later in the year if, if you get if a 4090. If you're willing to spend this much on it, and it's for gaming, not for work, which I assume it's for gaming because you have a 9900 KF, which isn't typically a workstation processor. If that's yeah. what you have and you're willing to spend that much on a graphics card, I mean, you can get a 4090 now. And then I assume, though, you'd be willing to justify getting a better CPU eventually if you're willing to spend over $1,600 on a graphics <laughs> card. So if you yeah. are, just don't rush it. I would wait. I would wait for Zen 4th X3D, though. Because, yeah. I mean, why would you not? You're not... It. Let me put it this way. It's not like you have Zen Plus or an 8700K. You have a 9900K. And it's not enough of a bottleneck that I'd freak out right now. But I would definitely... Be looking to get Zen 4 with Vcash. Yeah, that's a good but idea. You don't, you don't need to feel rushed to. Um, all righty. So let us then move on finally to what is really meant to be the main discussion point of this, but I wanted to go in order. Story number five, Raptor Lake i9-13900K, i7-13700K, and i5-13600K launch with competitive performance against Zen 4 and caveats. All right, here's the write-up, and it's quite a long one. On October 20th, Raptor Lake CPUs were launched with reviews rolling out that day and over the past weekend as various reviewers focused on different SKUs before others. Here's the summary, at least from this writer's perspective. The i9-13900K, as leaked, trades blows with the 7950X from AMD and generally wins in gaming by low single digits on average. Although again, that's on average. It loses to the 7950X and other Zen 4 processors in many games. And it also consumes 50 to 100% more power than the 7950X with many reviewers recommending a 360 millimeter 
all-in-one liquid cooler at a minimum, again, at a minimum, so you can win in low single digits sometimes. So I put out an analysis video of that CPU. Uh, not a fan personally. We'll see what your opinion is, Dan. But then there was also the i7-13700K, which many reviewers were able to get the reviews out over the weekend. It seems to offer Zen 4 gaming performance while trading blows with the 7900X 12-core non-gaming tasks at roughly $100 less in cost. Yes, the i7 is not as efficient as the Ryzen 9s, but the value proposition seems very real with this one. And then there's the i5-13600K. On the other hand, seems to be lauded as some sort of killer gaming CPU, although in this writer's opinion, the selling points of this CPU may be a bit mischaracterized by the greater gaming community, at least again in my opinion. And that's because even when the i5 uses DDR5, it loses to the 5800X3D that requires far cheaper coolers, motherboards, and the cooler thing's a big thing. The i5 uses more energy than the 7900X guys, or at least around there. And it even uses 3200 megahertz DDR4 without big performance losses. That is the 5800X3D because of the way Vcache helps performance. If you use slower DDR4, not the slowest, but slower, it doesn't get nearly as much of a performance hit as Raptor Lake does. Uh, in Hitman 3, for example, it loses by a hair to the 7600X, the i5 does, if you use DDR5. But then if you use DDR4, it loses by 12%, which I have to point out in that benchmark was about the same difference as the 5950X to the i5. So if you say it's close to the 7600X in gaming performance, it's the same difference as Zen 3. So you're also saying it's similar to Zen 3 performance. And let me emphasize this point by putting things in perspective then. The difference between the 7600X and the i5 using DDR4 is the same as the i5 and the 5950X. So you're saving money, but you're also losing by double digits to Zen 4 in gaming. And if that's okay with you, I would just point out that you're probably also okay with getting Zen 3 CPUs that AMD just discounted to half the cost, which you can get with the $90 B550 motherboard. Uh, but uh, yeah, so overall, I don't see the i5 as a magic budget gaming CPU. However, it is way, 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 way better at multi-threading tasks than the 7600X. Insanely better. Like doubling its performance, I believe, in some situations, at least 50% more, though, if not doubling. Look, the i5, from my perspective, is a budget workstation CPU, but it does not gain better than the previous generation, right? So mm -hmm. that, that's my opinion on the i9, the i7, and the i5. What do you think, Dan? The th the 13900K is almost... It almost feels like it's at a point where it's just a no-go with the amount of energy it uses. You know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. versus other stuff on the market. Yes, I, I think in productivity, it's it, depending on the task, it's marginally better than a 7950X. Gaming, they're more or less the same. Uh, platform cost, I guess, if you really want to stretch it the you, and go get the 13900K with DDR4 or something, for some reason, you would be spending less money. Uh, but then you also have to factor in buying, I don't know, a $200 cooler the cool of the 13900k because it uses uh 300 watts <laughs> so i don't know the 13900k it's just almost i i think it's reached the point in energy usage where it's like i don't know if i there's any circumstance where you would want to recommend it unless i guess you power limit it to like 180 watts and the power limiting actually works on the motherboard you use uh because 
according <laughs> according to some benchmarks, it seems like it doesn't work that well uh, uh, with some motherboards. Now, well, before we move on, though, let's just nip that i9 discussion in the butt then. Yeah. I mean, look, I, it was weird. I actually changed the name of my video I put out Friday because I said i9 and i5, but then I realized talking about the i9, 99% of this video, and then I say I like the i5 and the i7. So really, the the video I put out before I went on vacation was focusing on the i9 13900K, which personally, when I take all factors into consideration, I can't recommend it to anyone. If you disagree with me, and I know many of you people will just scream and scratch out your eyes in the comments over me saying that, but at the end of the day, when you look at total system cost, for a Zen 4 versus 13900K, they're going to come out to about the same when you add in the cooling difference and the amount of energy it uses. But one of them, you have to get an insanely huge liquid cooler <laughs> to barely beat the 7950X. If you get a DDR4 system, guys, lose. If you get a normal liquid cooler, lose. So this argument that it's always stronger, I would, I would wager in a lot of systems it's going to end up weaker than the 7950X. And look, if you get a special deal at Micro Center, which I hear they're selling these for cost, which more people told me that over the weekend, no, we're not making any money on the i9. This is to get people in the door. Sure. I mean, look, if you can get it for like $100, $150 less, you already have a liquid cooler that's that big, maybe. I don't know. There's arguments with very specific people where I can say get the i9. But otherwise, I I think just getting the future-proof platform that's overall going to be cheaper due to cooling and energy costs is the better choice of the 7950X. I just don't, I, I can't find a situation where I would recommend that over that when you're spending that much money for the whole system. But that's the i9. That is not what I think about the i7, which I have the i7 Ooh. right here. <laughs> you know, or the i5. Let's move on to the i7 then. What do you are they, uh, are they uh are they they making little boxes now? Oh yeah, they're little baby box. They're little baby I boxes like that. now. Yeah. Like that they're not just giving you 90% air in the box for some reason. Because yeah. um, when I got my 5900X, uh, uh, it's like a big box this big that literally only has a CPU in it. It's like, why, why, why are you doing that, guys? Anyways, though, uh, I think the 13700K, I think, is the one that seems to be the most interesting to me. Uh, it's the one I got to upgrade the benchmarking system, and it's the one I, I like a, the most out of the line. I, I, I think it's like a ha it's like a a happy middle between you're getting good productivity without sacrificing that much versus the seventy nine fifty X or thirteen hundred uh, thirteen nine hundred K. You're spending a decent amount less money. It's good for productivity and it's good for gaming. Uh, I think the i seven is like. A good budget productivity gaming, a, a good budget productivity CPU, and also a good gaming CPU. And I don't think anywhere near the price range, the price ranges that there are right now, you have much better than the 13900K uh, that versus what AMD has to offer. Like the 7900X, I don't think there's a reason to get it over the 13900K. You know, the 7700X, maybe if you're tilting more into the gaming side of things, it's better to get a 7700X. But then at that point, I'm almost like, why not just get the 5800X 3D, you know? <laughs> it, yeah, well, I, let's save that for the i5 discussion. You know, yeah. The 13700K, 
4K, I mean, this one, it really is just like a 7900X for less money. Yes. Uh, it, it, and again, that's not the i5 is weaker in gaming. And again, this is where people go, well, they're close. Guys, every CPU is close in gaming. So, like, I honestly think the whole. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get into that, but, but if, but we're splitting hairs because I guess everyone focuses on gaming performance with CPU still for splitting hairs. The i7 does offer 7700 X performance. It offers way better multi-threading and well, it is less efficient. The, the major problem with that I have with the 13900 K's in efficiency is that you're going to have to get a big cooler that's like you have to build your system around it and it's not like this is a 4090 this isn't something that has all of these advantages in rendering and will probably be the strongest card or at least ties this like for a long time the 13900k is about to be destroyed by zen 4th x3d i have more leaks coming guys i have productions like this, it's coming soon like very very soon zen 4 x3d is coming soon so you're like the argument for the 13900k is you're building your entire system around supporting all of this cooling and crap for something that by the time you built your PC, well, AMD will be teasing the thing that's going to humiliate it and get it. So that doesn't make any sense to me, you know, to get for that reason. Well, this the i7 is less efficient. I don't think you need to get quite the level of cooler where it changes how you build your PC at all. That's Although, what the point is. It does have to be said that versus... Versus RDNA and RDNA versus uh, Zen Four, like just across the board, uh, Raptor Lake is is less efficient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the thirteen six hundred K is even a monster when it comes to power consumption. Versus it uses about the same energy as the seventy nine hundred X. Yeah, and I th- for a way way weaker CPU. Even though seventy nine hundred X is also with the the thirteen seven hundred K coming out, the seventy nine hundred X is. Kind of just a CPU I couldn't recommend at this point. But you know, it's funny. I, I always liked the 950Xs more than the 900Xs since Zen 2. And I, I, the 900X yeah. sold so well with Zen 2. But I was like, isn't the total cost difference of your system like 5% to just get the full 16 cores? And if you need 12 cores, who needs 12 cores but can't make use of 16? Because you're a gamer, you need eight. That, that's always yeah. been my thought, though. What's the price difference? It's a, it's a hundred for the nine fifty seven nine fifty X and seven nine hundred. It's one hundred fifty bucks right? more. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I kind of agree. Why wouldn't you just get a seventy nine fifty? I just that? think it's even more true now than it ever has been before. Now that look, the seventy nine hundred X should probably be four fifty or five hundred. There's just no way around it. it. But you know, but. At the end of the day, then, you know, that's why I think the i7 is a good choice. And what I like about the i7 I went as well, is let's say you have a budget Alder Lake system. I wouldn't, yeah, sure, get that i7. You're going to get a pretty big boost if you can make use of it. So I, yeah, and yeah, that's it, what I'm doing with Alder Lake. I, I think it's great. If you have like a 1200, 1200KF or something, yeah, I don't know, go ahead and get it. And there, there just aren't as many sacrifices you need to make with the i7 or i5 that you need to with the i9 with the i9 you practically have to build a system around it and, and if you make and any if you're argument getting, that you don't then it's going to lose to zen 4 so i don't know why and what if the argument is here yeah and that's the problem is uh <laughs> if you're looking at like total system cost and for some reason a lot of the people are exclude which i guess mentally speaking i get why you exclude cooler costs because at, at this point up to this point, cooler cost really didn't wasn't the thing that broke the camel's back. 
uh, the, or the straw mm-hmm. that broke the camel's back, but now it is. So overall system performance, I think, will be more. I mean, uh, platform cost is going to be more expensive with the thirty nine hundred K if you include the cooler. You need, and if you're like you said, if you're not including the cooler, well, it's going to throttle like crazy. Uh, so why wouldn't you include the cooler? Uh, you have to, which I think a lot of reviews <laughs> and, and I, also I think didn't consider that enough. Yeah. And also consider if you're getting a car that's, I mean, a CPU that's going to be pushing 300 watts and then, I don't know, you're a, you're a big time gamer. You're also getting a 4090. Th- that's getting to a point where it's like, I don't know, you might want to get a 1000 watt P, uh, power no, supply to be I safe. I think 1500. <laughs> yeah. 1000 watt. Let's say 1200. You want 1200 to be safe. 1000 um, watt might even be playing a little fast and loose with those two. Like, I think so. If you're going to overclock anything, yes. Uh, you know, and like leave a little room for the future. Um, but yeah, so uh, I don't know. I, I That's the i7. I think we both like the i7. I don't have much to say. It's like, I think we always knew the 12 core was the weakest in price performance in the Zen 4 lineup. We don't have much else to say about it, right? Yeah, the one thing I... I, I versus the 7600X, it's like... So we're moving on to the i5 now, though, right? Yeah, I think so. Versus the 7600X, I think there's maybe a little bit of a discussion to be had because I guess, once again, we're splitting hairs. Slightly better performance than the 13700K, but I don't know. If you're doing any, yeah, if you're doing anything else, the 13700K is probably better than the 7700X. Yeah, I guess there were, wasn't there? Like, I think I have pulled up here a couple reviews. Like, let me look at this here. I think in like Adobe right or something the 7700x makes an argument for itself next to yeah not blender not let me see adobe the sound yeah an adobe premiere pro the 7700x is pretty close you know beats well ties let's say it ties the 13700k then in photoshop also it ties it or beats it actually slightly after effects it's pretty close so yeah it just depends do you actually need those extra threads if you don't the 7700x isn't actually the worst although yeah. again i think we all know that should have been probably 350 yeah yeah it should have been a hundred dollars less than the i7 I, I, and the r9 should have been slightly more than the i7 not a hundred dollars more i do think as it stands right now depending on use case the only cpu uh for zen 4 i think i would recommend right now is the 7950X. That's the one selling well, based on people <laughs> I talk to, you know. And it, also, I want to be clear, the reason I also think the 7950X is selling well, because I know some people go, well, wait, what about the Vcash argument for that? It's like, well, yeah, but the Vcash won't be any better at multi-threading. So I think the people that need it for gaming and professional work don't care about Vcash because it's already hitting 200 hertz. Yeah. I think that's what's going on with the... uh 7950X and why that's selling well. Whereas with the 7900X, a lot of people did get that for gamer creator that might care about Vcash anyways. And so they're like, eh, I'll just wait. But um, it, let's move this, on to the i5 though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, i5, I think if you're ignoring other generations, the i5 looks good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think when you're comparing it, the 5800X3D is clearly the card. The, clearly the CPU to get at this point in time if you're trying to save money to some extent because you can get a 5800X3D with 16 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM and like a B650 motherboard for 90, 120 bucks, something like that. Yeah, and I'm pulling up the 
1440p average here from hardware unboxed uh, which remember is cpu bottleneck still for the 3090 ti by quite a large margin so <laughs> as long as it's still cpu bottlenecks i do think you should use the highest resolution you can um and if i look at this the 7700x yeah and then this 5800x 3d the 5800x 3d beats the 13600k well, using 3600 megahertz uh, RAM, although most tests I've seen, you can use 3200 megahertz without worrying. So, and it's beating the i5 13600K using DDR5. And I do not mind the i5 as a budget creator CPU slash gamer. Oh, that, that, so that's, that's good with DDR4. But just keep in mind, guys, if you make these arguments, the i5 uses more energy than the 7900X. So, okay, you're still going to need to get a liquid cooler that the 5800X3D does not need because it actually, because of its lower clock speeds, uses less energy than a 5800X. You can get a budget stealth cooler with a 5800X3D, which are basically free on eBay right now because of how many people are selling off their bundled coolers from previous gens. You have a you have a free cooler basically with the 5800X3D or like $10 or something. You need like a $100 cooler for the i5 to not hold it back. And so you're getting a more expensive cooler. You're using DDR4. It loses by like 10%, like or more. So... I'm sorry, guys, if you're if you're recommending the i5 with Raptor Lake because DDR4 is cheaper, okay, but it's losing at that point, and you still had to buy the more expensive cooler. It's the same price as the 5800X3D, and the motherboards for the 5800X3D are cheaper. Now, let me get this, make this clear. It's not like the 5800X3D is like winning price performance by like 50% or something, but it is better. And it has eight cores, so it doesn't lose multi-threading as badly as like the 7600X does. So and then know. if you or, need to, or I think it's actually similar but go on and then if you need to further save money from this then i, I think you're talking about getting a cpu that's weaker than a 7600x like if you need to save if you're tra- looking to spend less than this i don't know you should be getting it still be getting like a 12400 kf or something well that's my problem too and it's like you don't need to get these discounted zen 3 cpus although now it's like 140 dollars for the 5600 so. although i actually i guess i i should go back and check how how does How's the fifty six hundred doing in pricing? But <laughs> price. Per well, they just but. they just officially price cut it to one forty, and oh, it comes with uncharted. Okay. So, uh, guys, like if you care about price performance, this is a third the price, and I don't think it's a third the performance of the i five. And keep in mind, you can get budget Alder Lake i fives for a lot less too, for like under two hundred dollars. So, I don't know. I I think the i five is truly the best mantle it takes in terms of a crown is. Six big little six big cores again, but now eight little cores. I mean, this thing is a a, a budget workstation CPU. Yeah, uh, that true. games in the same tier as the previous gen flagships, but it it games in the previous gen flagships. It, it doesn't even with DDR5 beat the 5800X3D. It, it, it's it's like a a whole 10, 20, 15 percent weaker than. Like the don't think you're getting 13900k gaming performance you're not it's 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 weaker so you know just keep that in mind yeah and if you're looking if you're not looking to spend $1500 on like your motherboard CPU combo everything if you're looking to spend i don't know closer to 6 5 dollars the 5800x3d i still think is a very very good option for a lot of people maybe even the best option for uh 
maybe even the best option for uh, a majority of people. Well, and it depends right on the games you play because there's some games where it <laughs> wins by an absurd margin. So that's true. yeah, I mean, I'd say the 5800X3D, if AMD could price, I think it's officially 400 now. If they could get that to like 350 or 300, they just have a winner on their hands. As it stands, if you're doing a DDR4 system, it has cheaper cooling than the i5. It slightly wins in gaming. <laughs> it doesn't require the fastest DDR4 to look as good as it does on these charts. And its motherboards are a little cheaper than uh, the ones you would get for the i5, although only a little. Uh, there, It That's is a true. little cheaper, though. So it's like all of that adds up that overall you're spending less for the 5800X3D system for a little bit better gaming. Um, that needs to be stated. But it's not. If you are doing multiple workloads, the i5 is the winner of the budget work and play CPU. Yeah, uh, but it it does cost more than last gen, and it does not match Zen Four in gaming. It, it doesn't, though. You know, no. And, and once again, it's a notable decrease in performance. But you, if you have it with like a thirty eighty, that the the i five with like a thirty eighty is probably a good combo. I I don't know if you were building a new system. I don't know if I would recommend getting that with a forty ninety or something. But uh, it's like, well, yeah, just spend more money and get a. a, a uh, either 7950x or a 13700k or something but but yeah so i don't know the way i would uh summarize um my opinion is i just think the i9 makes too many sacrifices for me to recommend it to mo to almost anyone i can come up with a couple examples of when it makes sense but it's like it's on a dead platform it's going to be beaten by new CPUs by probably a notable margin in just a couple months or well, like four months. And it um, doesn't, and it uses the energy of a formerly high powered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it uses the energy of a 3090. I mean, and, and it uses enough power that there, it's not even just about like energy bills, which is a huge factor for a lot of people right now. Um, which people hand wave that away and it's like, okay, well, hundreds of millions, this is a huge factor. So I'm glad it isn't for you, but even for people who have money, this is a factor. When we're talking about price performance that if they would have just reined it in a little bit, I think they would have had a God, a winner on their hands, but there's just too many ways I can kind of poke at it and go, I, I would overall recommend the 7950X for the platform longevity the much e easier like system building for cooling, the fact that you can upgrade even just in a four months to something stronger in gaming. But when it comes to the i7, I think you, me and you agree, it really makes the 7900X look stupid and it already looks stupid. And the i5 is a really good multi-purpose CPU at its price point. But if you're going for budget gaming, I tell me if you just, I just get annoyed at the argument that it's better price performance than... The 5800X3D is the same price performance. And if you care about price performance, get Alder Lake i5s or get yeah. a 5600. Because I don't believe you care about price performance if, if, if you're bringing if, that up. If you're spending $300, I mean, $400 on a CPU, another probably, let's be honest, $140 on a motherboard at least, and then another like 100 bucks on RAM or whatever you're going to spend. I mean, you. You're not looking for the the cheapest thing you can get if you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Um, well, I, I guess I'll save some of these other questions for after these reader mail. So MCH writes in and he says, "I would note that TechSpot slash Hardware and Box retracted their power scaling testing, the ones used in your video, due to MSI using excessive voltage on their boards." Uh, and well, I talked to Steve offline too. Is something with like 
uh, XTU having a bug in it as well, I believe. But he said, other testing showed the 7950X offering 5% more performance than a 3900K at 140 watts and 7% at 85 watts. The difference in efficiency seems minor to me. The 3900K offers 12900K performance at 240 watts, uh, at 85 watts versus 240 watts, the 12900K. He puts on screen like good power testing uh, from PC World. And I would say, yeah, but first of all, when it comes to that power testing, keep in mind at 65 watts, AMD does have a notable advantage in efficiency in laptop with Dragon Range, especially once they add Vcash. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, Steve retracted the power scaling testing. And if you actually check my video, I made a few minor tweaks to like just put it on screen less often. But if you listen to what I say in the video, I'm talking about the peak power consumption. The Linus Tech Tips, Hardware Unbox, Gamers Nexus, everyone found the i5 uses over 200 watts of power. Everyone found the 13900K at stock settings uses 300 watts or more. And you say it yourself, MCH, at 140 watts or something, you know, you know let me see, it, like the 7950X wins by 5% at like, it, yeah, I know. So what's the point? <laughs> like, that that's my point right there. Like on Newegg, the 7950X costs 5% more at reasonable liquid coolers. If you use a reasonable liquid cooler on both of them, not something that's the size of an entire case, they both get the same performance. So exactly my yeah. point. But it's not as pronounced at lower power consumptions as Steve and I think a couple other YouTubers uh, found from a bug. So, but, you know, uh, totally understood. The, the point is, though, the efficiency thing is everyone's obsessing for me my the best way i can put it is everyone's obsessing over five like a two percent four percent gaming win okay yeah, well yeah. that's eliminated by using even like a a decent sized liquid cooler that that's yeah the point. and this doesn't all just come from the fact that like looking at uh hardware unbox there was a bug early on in their review that was leading to <laughs> higher uh wattage higher uh energy usage uh when they were doing their power scaling. I mean, it's the thing is still using like 200 to 300 watts regularly in every setup. Yeah. All right. 300 watts regularly in every setup. The RTX 4090 is so big that I was considering digging one of my old compact liquid coolers from storage to cool my processor if I were to test the 4090 in my desktop. And unfortunately, I found out that at some point it had broken pretty badly. And so I guess I'll just need to buy a new one if I go down that route. But, you know, whatever I end up using, this highlighted the dangers of liquid cooling. They're dangers that the Ice Giant Pro Siphon Elite does not need to worry about. Today's sponsor is brought to you by Ice Giant and their Pro Siphon Elite that uses thermosiphon technology, which was initially developed for use for industrial applications to make an incredibly innovative phase change cooler that performs like the best liquid coolers on the market, and it has the reliability and simplicity of an air cooler. And if you support this company, Ice Giant, you're supporting a startup in Austin, Texas that stands by their product with a unprecedented 10-year warranty. So whether you're looking to cool Zen 4, Raptor Lake, Threadripper, or some upcoming Xeon Extreme product from Intel, know that Ice Giant has you covered without requiring liquid cooling for these beasts. And their product is available at dozens of retailers globally. And you can go to Amazon right now and use a coupon code to get an additional $25 off. Click the link in the description to buy the Ice Giant Pro Siphon Elite. And if you do, you're also supporting Moore's Law is Dead. Consider the Pro Siphon Elite today. 
Sisyphos writes in. Hope I'm saying that right, but I don't know. I don't know if this is like a Greek name or if this is just some reference I don't understand, but will you forgive me if I pronounce it the way you didn't want me to? He says, hi, Tom. Considering that Intel's fab is thought to be behind TSMC by a factor of 1.5 to 2.5 in terms of density and other factors when comparing their newest nodes, how do you think Raptor Lake would compare to Zen 4 if TSMC and Intel's nodes were comparable in performance? What are the implications of Intel 4 and Intel 3 catching up to TSMC mean for CPU and GPU market? It'd be very good for Intel. <laughs> um, I think there's no way around it. If Intel was using TSMC 5 nanometer to make Raptor Lake, it would. I don't know how efficient the big cores would be in size, but overall, they would have something that might beat Zen 4, at least with the golden samples. Keep in mind that what AMD's using are whatever yields they decided to give to gamers compared to Genoa, Threadripper, <laughs> the Vcash models yeah. coming out, Dragon Range, and uh, that alone gives them a lot of flexibility. But yeah, I mean, if they were on TSMC's node, Raptor Lake doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, at least it's not a Rocket Lake situation, and uh, well, overall, where, where I, they I think just... Gamers Next has kind of compared it, but uh, I don't know. I don't think it's like Raptor Lake, Raptor Lake at least. So uh, 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 Rocket yeah. Lake, it Ro- oh, yeah, Rocket Lake. It was just they were also embarrassingly behind in performance, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, too. They were using more energy than. I mean, they were using Threadripper amounts of energy to lose to the 1500X, so <laughs> that's pretty bad. Um, Brett Summers writes in and he says, Hello, Tom and Dan. I got a long one here. Do you think AMD's segmentation needs a revamp? After your uh, broken silicon with Gordon, and after a few conversations I've had myself on Discord, I'm of the mind that their current segmentation isn't as aggressive or competitive as it could be. I'm not saying Zen 4 as a whole is bad either. I don't want that to be taken away from this, but... And I think that while they aren't at Intel levels of bad milking compared to what they've done in the past with stagnation, they definitely aren't at Zen 1 through Zen 2 levels of aggressiveness when it comes to segmentation. With Zen 5, are we going to see this out of AMD again, or will we be stuck in another R9 covering tw- 16 to 12 core situation, R7s and 8 cores, R5 and 6 cores, and is R3 going to continue to be dead? Um... Yeah, that's what you're doing. First of all, no, I think Zen 5 is going to be much more aggressive, and I think it's going to be a good time to do it because by the time Zen 5 comes out, which based on what I'm seeing, it's like quarter two, maybe, I think, eh, maybe quarter one, 2024. It depends on how that is. You'll see in an upcoming leak, but it's coming out first half of 2024. Um, by then, for sure, DDR5 will be cheaper. AM5 motherboards will be cheaper and heavily supplied without having to wait for like the cheaper shit. Like everything they're shipping right now is coming by airplane, guys. Like that's why the motherboard prices are up for the most part. Like we're going to have not only will they have the cheaper shipping, they'll be uh, sitting on store shelves for a year. <laughs> like <laughs> all the things, people, most of the things I should say people are complaining about with Zen 4 will be solved by the time Zen 5 comes out. And so by then, they'll probably have been focusing on Zen with Zen 4 for laptop and server market share. I think they're going to be much more aggressive. I think that they're going to look at Zen 4 and they're going to say, now's the time to go for laptop and server. Let's go for it with Zen 5, both because a lot of the pricing issues we had with DDR5 and motherboards are fixed. And because now's the time to focus on it after a certainly not perfect Zen 4 execution on price performance and desktop, shall we say, if not faltering a bit. Um, But Second, he says, are they being aggressive as they could be with Zen 4? Absolutely not. Uh, I know they have a ton of capacity. They could be way more aggressive. But guys, I think it's already emerging that there's rumors AMD's cutting production of Raphael chips. I think they might choose not to be aggressive. Like, I don't know if they care. You have to think about the fact that Intel is still an elephant. 
people act like they're an underdog because I don't know, they can't read numbers. <laughs> Intel has more revenue than NVIDIA and AMD divide combined multiply by two. Like they are so much bigger than AMD that AMD has to pick their battles. And Raptor Lake's competitive on desktop. It just is, if not better, depending on which segment. It, like it, it th- that's not a, a winning battle to make enough money to fund future projects. The winning battle is Genoa, Dragon Range Laptop. So I know people are like, are they going to do price drops and stuff? Personally, I think they should do the minimum to make it at least even with Intel price performance. But if you guys are expecting some massive aggressive push, no, I think they just redirect supply to Genoa and laptop. Absolutely. That's what I would do if I was AMD because it's an easier battle to win. Um, I I mean, I will say, I think when... I mean, what was the 2700X's MSRP when it launched? I actually don't remember. Oh, which one? 2700X. Oh, it, it's, it's like 333. Yeah. So I think uh, what you have with the with AMD right now is they've so they've ha- they've named their products the same thing. Pretty, they've given the 700, the eight core, et cetera, et cetera the uh 912 core so on and so forth the same names uh since the inception of zen as a as an architecture or as a line of products and the msrp has moved up for those part uh cpus so far and intel is now resurgent they've been resurgent for a couple generations now really They've been increasing uh, the amount of threads they have for processors since and has came out. But in the past couple of generations, they've really accelerated that. And AMD is still sitting at the same number of core threads they have with the same product names, with the same pricing for like three generations now. And I think there's an argument like if if across the board they had dropped their pricing by like half a segment, versus what it is launched at, I think Raptor Lake would be a lot less compelling than what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Not, I don't think it would completely change the equation, say, if the 7700X sold, launched at 350. Eh, but it might... It, it, I think that would make it, in more cases, advisable to get that instead of the 13700K. Where, as it stands right now, I think I would pretty much almost always recommend the 13700k for people that are considering getting either yeah i mean let's remember how quickly pricing would fix this if the 7600x was 250 it it it, i think it ties the 70 the 13700k in gaming yeah it would be almost half the price Uh, there you go if the 70 and then if the 7700x like you brought up the 2700x and I think it should be if they wanted to slam dunk, but maybe they don't care. If the <laughs> 7700X was 330, same price as the i5, wins gaming, trades blows multi-threading, done. That would, be the, you that would probably be that would probably be the gaming CPU that's just recommended. Like, unless you're that would be the default recommendation, I guess is the way I would put it. Like, if you're trying to balance cost and performance, well, if you're trying to balance uh get best performance without uh with sacrificing some of the multi-threading performance, I guess. Yeah. There. So yeah, if so, yeah, if it was like six fifty for the for the sixteen core, four fifty for the twelve core, three thirty for the eight core, two fifty or two thirty even for the six core, 
all problems are now gone. AMD wins, you know, but I don't know that they care when they have to balance <laughs> yeah. supply with server. And I think what they were hoping, and I do think they should make adjustments. I'm not entirely sure how they should do it because right now they still got Zen 3 to sell off and that's bargain pricing. But if they could manage to do some sort of bundle, even if it was just every retailer participated, if you buy an AM5 motherboard with it, you just get $50 off. I'm just right there, that almost solves the problem for them. But I think they should do the bare minimum, something that's a bare minimum like that, so that it's kind of a tie and they don't lose market share right now. I, I think yeah. they should. But I do think they were hoping that cheaper cooling costs, more efficient, long-lasting platform wins gaming most of the time besides the very top where you have to make massive compromises with the i9 to win gaming by 4%. I think they were hoping winning, and I brought this up over and over, remember that winning four out of five things would be enough to charge the same price. Turns out it's not. I think I have to say that. How many generations did we see Intel win gaming by 10% lose multi-threading, charge more money, and everyone was like, well, it's Intel. AMD just <laughs> tried to do the same thing. Fair or not, and I will just say that because I don't know if I think that's fair, but fair or not, the the community thinks AMD needs to give you free multi-threading performance even if they win gaming. Because that's true. what we're looking at now yeah. is what happened with Coffee Lake, and people just said, buy Coffee Lake for gaming. A, it's very clear that AMD can't get away with the the same thing. They have to when people just expect AMD to give them more I mean, multi-threading for the dollar. They expect it. I, I, the I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know how long AMD is going to remain in that position or they need, they're still rehabbing their branding or if this is just inherent to their branding or how people perceive them. It, it, it's, it's a weird perception to have where it's just like, well, you need to be a better value or we don't get, we need, you, you need to be the be obviously better value in all ways or we don't get you. Because that does seem to be how the way the market mm -hmm. speaks a lot of the time. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, you know, uh, yeah, I don't need to beat a dead horse because I do think it's very clear that, again, they have efficiency, platform longevity, they win gaming in the mid-range to low-end CPUs. All of these are by 5%, so I don't want to hear that argument. It's not by much. All of this isn't by much, even sometimes compared to last gen. And uh, that doesn't cut it for them. People expect Ryzen to give them more multi-threading performance for the price. And mm -hmm. if Intel has a flagship that wins gaming by 3% or something, well, it doesn't matter. I guess AMD now doesn't keep, get to keep taking market share. So that just goes to show you that while Ryzen is mind share, it certainly isn't to the area that Intel's was in five years ago. It almost no. feels like Intel and AMD mind share is almost in the enthusiast space, even now with a slight favor to AMD. But it's not like some slam dunk where people were just you know, buying KB Lake four cores instead of Ryzen half the time. <laughs> um, but speaking of those other Zen 4 products, let us finally now move on to story number six. Moore's Law is Dead leaks Genoa general purpose performance. So on October 14th, Moore's Law is Dead leaked that Genoa performance was the following. It brings 80 to 90% more performance over Zen 3 Milan server processors, at least when you're comparing 400-watt CPUs to 400-watt CPUs, which needs to be pointed out, Genoa seems to point to focus on per-socket performance at high TDPs far more often than Milan does. Perhaps this is because this is when Zen 4 shines the most. Maybe also it's because they know Intel's going to be 
marketing 400 watt performance with Sapphire Rapids as well. It's probably both. But additionally, though, what that means is 400 watt to 400 watt. They bring you almost double the performance of Milan, which is very impressive, which should even out to be about 40 to 60% more performance than Sapphire Rapids as well. But Sapphire Rapids is expected to have big wins when AMX is needed, AI, and other workloads that Intel still exceeds at. So in well mid-range Genoa with 48 cores should beat 60 cores or tie 60 core Sapphire Rapids in many use cases. It's not always going to be a win in the niches Intel already excels at with Ice Lake X, but when it is the things that AMD excels at, yeah, it's going to kind of be a bloodbath. Um, so yeah, I mean, I leaked slides from Genoa and I kind of the entire lineup actually, I believe as well. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about this? Was this more of a performance increase than you expected or is this basically in line? Um, yeah, it's always hard for me to say because I just keep less track of the server <laughs> space, but I don't know. I think probably a little bit more than I was eh, probably in line with what I was expecting. It just seems like AMD is for except outside of the niches that Intel excels at AMD has been a bloodbath in the server space since like 2017, maybe almost (laughs) they seem to uh, server is a slower moving ship, I think than consumer, but it seems like server AMD continues to take marginal market share, eh, pretty decent market share generation over generation. And I think that's, this is just going to continue that trend. Mm-hmm. I think so as well. Um, the one thing I would say is, and I almost see this as good news, is I don't want to get to a point, though. I was worried that Genoa was going to bury Intel by so much that it, it was going, like, Intel's future isn't really in question, but, like, it almost, you worry they're going to die death by a thousand cuts. It seems like Sapphire Rapids truly is a special generation at a lot of tasks, and I think Sapphire Rapids versus Genoa shouldn't be really much worse than Ice Lake X versus Milan X. Does that make sense? Yeah. With the exception that I think Sapphire Rapids is going to be crazy expensive. So I don't know. It's not like we're getting to a situation where AMD is just five generations ahead. Like I was worried. Well, not five. I was worried to be like two or three ahead, but it is still at least as much of an advantage as they had before, I think. But Sapphire Rapids doesn't suck. It, it, I think what we're learning, too, is Sapphire Rapids, uh, as I say in the video, would have been pretty dang good if it would have launched a year ago. Yeah. I mean, but even now, though, with server, like, I, this, I, I don't see how AMD could just completely take over server that quickly because they're, they're still at a pretty small percentage of the market share when it co- versus Intel, aren't they? Or? I, I, I forgot where they were at. I think they're above 10% now. According to Mercury, by Q2 this year, it was closer to 15%. That's what I thought it was. I just didn't want to get it wrong. So yeah, it's that's, you know, I think Genoa could allow them to keep moving to 20 or higher, which is higher than they've ever gotten before. That's crazy for a company like an eighth the size of Intel to be able to get to a fifth of the market share. And if they ever yeah. got to a third or 40%, that'd be nuts. But well, if I guess keep, enough. If uh, they keep making gains like... Uh, <laughs> they they have been in server uh, i don't know it's i i could see that get them getting to 30 percent. that wouldn't surprise me well let's Next discuss if they will be able to do that dan with mm-hmm. what is going to be discussed in the next story store uh, flawless execution there <laughs> on on reading that transition to story number seven both amd and intel workstation release dates leaked does Fishhawk Falls have a chance? So 
Also, in that Genoa leak video, there was a leak of server and workstation releases. And let me just go through them quick. Quarter four of this year, of course, we're getting Genoa, but also we should be getting one socket Sapphire Rapids launching at the very end of December and two socket workstation Xeon Extreme, which is interesting. Intel seems like they're going to launch dual socket workstation Sapphire Rapids so they can try to claim their beating in workstation again. Uh, with Although, again, at the mm-hmm. power consumption of using two Sapphire Rapids, I would be very worried in a desktop-shaped chassis. But then, in early quarter one, 2023, or at least by the end of it, Fishhawk Falls mainstream workstation should launch. That's the 34-core, the 24-core, the less than 24-core models. So that's cool. Along with Sapphire Rapids HBM, which should really excel at some tasks compared to even AMD. Then, by the end of quarter two, we should get OEM Fishhawk Falls launches. Uh, and two socket server Sapphire Rapids should be out. By the end of 2023, we should have Genoa X and hopefully AMD Threadripper 7000 out. Although I have to say that, and a lot of people did ask me about this. Um, when I say by end of 2023, I was just grouping things together. I think Genoa X is going to launch in the middle of 2023. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's going to launch late. Having said that, Threadripper 7000, I have multiple people saying it might get pushed into 2024, and I, I don't know. that. We'll get to that in a second. That's just very depressing for me because it was supposed to come out early next year. And then by late 2023, we should also get Intel Emerald Rapids. That's just the 64-core version of Sapphire Rapids with some architecture tweaks. Um, And then first half of 2024, we get AMD Turin, Intel Grand Rapids, which I have backed up by more information I've received since then, by the way, people. And then by the end of 2024, Turin X and Turin HBM. Again, not saying they'll launch late 2024. I'm saying like 2024, they'll have those out as well. There you go, then. AMD just seems to have a massive advantage in server until at least mid-2024. But in Workstation, I feel like Intel is being given an opening if they can keep Fishhawk Falls cost down. Although that is a big if. All right, Dan, what do you think about all of this? Um, hmm. You know, I, 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 I agree. It seems like it seems like Thre- uh, Threadripper over time is just not becoming as big of a being as big of a priority as uh, as <laughs> it used to be with AMD, and I don't know that gives them an opening, I guess, and HEDT and workstations, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fishhawk Falls is. I, I think they're going to start showing off at least like a paper launch before the end of the year. Something they'll they'll show at least slides of ex- estimated performance, and then it's going to launch by quarter two next year and well no in multi-threading it won't always win against like even you know like milan x which amd can totally just i think it was called chagall 3d or chagall (laughs) x was the uh name for zen 3d on threadripper i think that'll do fine the carbon cry pointed it out in the beginning with a correction like well not at everything sure not at everything but like for a lot of tasks it will do fine i think against fishhawk falls because it only goes up to 34 cores but at the same time, a lot of people, you know, Intel's pushing up the core counts, but they're still just tying Zen 4. AMD has only launched, I say only, it's funny, but only launched 16 cores several generations in a row. If Intel offers, let's say they disable two cores and it's even just 32 cores of like Raptor, like big cores to eight, like a workstation platform for reasonable price most people don't need 64 cores they just want the massive amounts of io and more cores i think there's a niche here where intel can get some goodwill from professionals oh yeah definitely i mean i (laughs) like you said i i I just 
I, I just think this is a a segment of the market. AMD just doesn't seem to care about making inroads as much as they do with consumer and just server where AMD clearly clearly does a good job of just <laughs> scaling up core accounts to absurd numbers where at the same point in time they might be at like what 256 cores for their server cpus and i don't know this middle ground there just isn't that depending much on of, which one yeah yeah and this this middle ground there just doesn't seem to be as much for them there they don't think uh and they'll just keep doing that and launching 16 cores to consumers hopefully more in the near future but we'll see so yeah, I mean, I think we both agree. We don't have much to say. Like, we know what Fishhawk Falls is. We've seen Raptor. Like, we know what it will look like. Just a yeah. lot more cores. The question is cost. I think if they can make up that 32-core die, three grand, the 24-core die, 2,000 or less, mm-hmm. basically in line with Zen 2 Threadripper pricing. I mean, the cores are, like, twice as good as Zen 2 at least. So you've got a real thing here. And, it, and again, here's another big if, like, I just think it's going to be hard to keep that pricing low because the die size is massive. But if they can keep the, those prices where I just said, and they can also keep the cooling below like 400 watts, which again, big F. I mean, <laughs> I mean, three yeah. is over 300 watts with the i9 13900K. What do you think is going to happen with 24 big cores or 34 big cores? Uh, I, I mean, gonna- I'm, ass- <laughs> I'm assuming <laughs> they're they're not going to be as high clocked though. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Hopefully they they don't use something absurd, but no, no, no. You never know. This is a power hungry architecture, clearly. But yeah, outside of workstation, I mean, it seems like AMD's got a real runway here to just have better server stuff. At Intel, Granite Rapids, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and notice I didn't mention Sienna in that leak, guys. Hmm. I wonder if I say something. Some- more about that very 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 soon in much more detail hmm. but uh yeah let us then move on to something we've been dancing around talking around about directly right there uh story number eight granite rapids leaked to have 128 cores of redwood plus on intel's three node so finally here we are final story also in that server workstation leak video I leaked, I believe, the first confirmed specs of Granite Rapids, which is to say 128 cores on Intel 3. It was originally going to be, I think, 80 cores on Intel 4. Uh, mm. So this is a pretty big increase in performance in this redefinition of the architecture. And Redwood Plus, from what I'm hearing, is in between Redwood Cove and Lion Cove in performance. What does that mean overall? Does that mean it's like more efficient like Lion Cove? But the IPC is... I think it's a higher, it is higher IPC than Redwood Cove. It is higher clocks or like it's, I'm told it's a much bigger uplift, much bigger than Golden Cove to Raptor Cove. So think of it that way. And now it's 128 cores launching first half of 2024. It's launching right next to Turin, AMD Turin. And I, and I know Turin's going to be 192 cores or higher. I'm working on that leak, but I don't know. This James seems, you know, 60 cores versus 96 slash 128 from Bergamo. I don't know, going from 128 versus 192. And maybe the architecture is at least as good, if not better with, I'm hearing very impressive accelerators. I They don't, from what I'm told, and people working on this thing don't expect it to beat Turin. And people at AMD are still cocky about Turin. But they do, <laughs> unlike Sapphire Rapids, which again, continues the treading water and server, and Emerald Rapids is going to be pretty bad, I think. I'm- I, I think this makes up a little ground. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Granite Rapids sounds like it is at least, if not catching, if not catching, uh, well, it won't, probably won't catch terrain, but it is at least is starting to close the ground uh, in the server space that I think AMD has just tended to widen that gap over the past five or six years. Yeah. So... It is exciting to see this, and based on what I'm hearing, it is on track for now, at least. So (laughs) a lot of people are like, how can you trust Intel? And I'd say, look, I'm just reporting what I know. What I know is it seems to not be having any of the issues or not the volume of issues Sapphire Rapids had, not even close in this point in time. So if you're skeptical of that, though, I don't blame you. It's hard to believe anything Intel says anymore, even internally. But at the end of the day... It does sound like this is much more on track and it's it's so much on track. I'm hearing that like Emerald Rapids is being compressed to like Sapphire Rapids is so <laughs> delayed. Granite Rapids is so accelerated that Emerald Rapids is going to be very short lived. It's just going to be a flash in the pan. Although I am told because Emerald Rapids drops into Sapphire Rapids motherboards kind of gives it an argument to keep making next to Granite as well. Though. Mm-hmm. So that's, that makes a, that's sense. a fair point. Um, but yeah, so that is all the stories in this insanely long episode. Let us now move on to the wrap up, which is this isn't uh, this isn't enough to get its own story, but it is definitely worth mentioning, especially this first one. Enter Intel's Alder Lake Bio source code reportedly leaked online. I was told by somebody at Intel that this is a huge issue, by the way. I mean, I'm assuming this is a security issue, right? <laughs> Massive security one. I mean, so just keep that in mind if you buy an Alder Lake CPU. Hopefully. Some of these bugs won't apply to Raptor. Like I'm sure some of them will, but it's it, it, I'm told this is a big problem that this happened. I, I I don't have much to say on it except that like I hope Intel doesn't just keep having security issues. It seemed like that was finally behind us with Intel. It would suck if some crap getting leaked uh, made this an issue again. But I, I that's the only thing I would say then though. It is an issue. Do not shrug this off from what I'm told from people at Intel. Um, Also, NVIDIA testing priority access system to fight scalpers. They didn't send me an email to get a 4090. NVIDIA, Jensen, I don't know your problem. I knew I shouldn't have used the Moore's Law's dead email for my NVIDIA account. (laughs) Yeah, that probably would have been a better idea to use something else. Yeah, probably. But yeah, I mean, what do you think about this, Dan? It's about time, isn't it? Uh, NVIDIA does literally anything to fight scalpers. It's something, I mean, you can say maybe it's, you have to figure out a way to prioritize people some, give people some priority to avoid. They do the minimum, right? Yeah, like, I think that, I think, uh, like, what Sony implemented with, like, a queue system made sense, where it's just, you need, (laughs) although that didn't really verify identity, but, eh, something to verify people's identity, it, it seems to be necessary if, anyone actually cares about scalpers which i i don't know how much anyone's going to care about scalpers until like they're forced to scare care about scalpers legally but yeah or if and, there, there's know, anything that can be done with that but the thing i'd say is this thing nvidia is finally doing it's like dude this was like the one good argument for making people li- log into your stupid drivers to use geforce experience like this is where you go oh, we know you've logged in and had an account and our system could verify you had like an RTX 3070 for two years and you used it to game this many times. We know you're a gamer. Would you like a 4090? This is like the bare minimum thing they should use that system for. Yeah. Uh, 
at least that's my main thought on it. Um, let's see. Intel Arc high power consumption. I'd have to dwell on this, but just keep in mind the A770 uses like triple the power idling of the competition. I say competition with air quotes because well, if it's I competing it's against competing, if it's competing against the 3090 Ti. Sure, <laughs> I don't know, well, and we'll see if this changes before this goes out. But I just want to point this out too with Arc. Can't buy it on Amazon. Hey. And I was thinking of this over the weekend. Oh, yeah, but if it was on Amazon, I could see if it ever hits the bestsellers list. And if it doesn't, then I could prove they aren't <laughs> selling almost any of them. <laughs> I wonder if that's a reason to only sell it on Newegg, but I don't know. <sighs> um, let me move on. then. And then uh, RTX 3060 Ti GDR6X announced. 36% more bandwidth and higher clocks. No way around it. The 3060 Ti GDR6X is going to be probably a, the same as a 3070, if not... Sl- yeah, it'll be mm-hmm. uh, maybe even slightly better than 3070 performance in some games, at least similar for le- way less money. So again, this is the start of NVIDIA making releasing Ampere a bunch there. of bizarre SKUs, disabling things and dumping them to get rid of Ampere stock. Yep. I mean, hopefully they don't do so many weird things that people <laughs> can't keep track of their SKUs, although they really seem to like making it difficult to keep track of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have nothing else to add to that. <laughs> All right, let us then move on to the final reader mails. Okay, then. Carrie No Sugata writes in and he says, Hi, Tom. With regards to Intel's Battle Mage lineup, from what you've been saying, to me, it sounds like they've canceled everything except the equivalent of the G11 die used in the A380. In which case, the strongest Battle Mage GPU might be weaker than the G10 die used in the A770. Does that match your expectations? Am I misreading what you've been saying? To be clear, I'm only asking this because I do want to nail down exactly what you've been saying and why you think it's a waste of time to hope much for Battle Mage. Which, I'm glad this question was asked because if that's the perception you're getting, no, I don't think they're launching some like, I guess it wouldn't be 1650, 3050, 4030, GT 4030 competitor with Battle Mage. That's not what I'm thinking. By the sounds of it, it will be more similar to the A770 die, but it's only really, in my opinion, comparable to what the top die of Alchemist was used for if Battle Mage launches mid-2023, and it's not. It, it sounds mm-hmm. like it's launching mid-2024 at the soonest. So, is that comparable to Alchemist top die? I mean, for the time, I don't really think so. We're talking about something that may compete with the 4070 at best in 2024, two years from now, <laughs> Or at worst, like a 4060 again, two years from now. And, and and from what I'm hearing, RDNA 4 should be out around then. And maybe the 5000 series from NVIDIA. So I mean, I, I call that low end because Alchemist ended up competing with low end last gen GPUs. And I think that's what Battle Mage is going to end up doing again, competing with the low end GPUs. For, uh, 8106 is for sure going to be low end compared to how much bigger the 4090 is. It's going to compete with low-end 4000 series or at best mid-range, but by then the 5000 series will be launching. So, no, I, I consider Battle Mage a low-end one. Not entry-level, though. It's not an A380. No. Yeah, I, I mean, it, <laughs> it just kind of sounds like it might be close to a repeat of what this was, what Alchemist was, and I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think that speaks to an improving of the, their, their place in the market when it comes to GPUs. Well, and and, and you know... That's right now. They mm-hmm. keep 
from what I'm hearing from people at Intel canceling stuff. I don't think this one will be canceled, but I think it is worth pointing out. That's right now. We'll see if, you know, what ends up launching. You know, it's it's already not sounding great. TMC Paint writes in and he says, would you wager an RTX 4080 12 gigabyte? Well, of course not. I, don't, I can never get one. That Intel will not launch a Battlemage GPU that competes against 8104. And this is a follow-up kind of to that one. No, I would not bet that. I think Battlemage could have a card that competes with some 8104 product, cut down or something. But RDNA 4 and the 5000 series, we're talking about two but it will years be, from now. It will be, yeah, it will be competing in 2024, probably. Yeah, so no, I wouldn't say that. By the time it comes out, good. But by then, we won't care about that level of performance, I don't think. Um, Wasted Herald writes in, Good day, Tom. Uh, what would it take for Intel to keep pushing into consumer GPUs? Does it matter how well Arc sells? Well, let me let me answer that part first. No, because they're not selling almost any of them. So I I it I don't I mean it matters, but I don't think it matters the same way it does with well, other the, they've products. Well, they've made the, they've made the cards they're going to make. So all, they're all of them are going to sell and it's not going to be that many. You know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he says even if Arc sold gangbusters, it can't. They didn't make any. Like almost any. They made again, they made less to sell for a whole year than AMD or then NVIDIA, I think, sells in a month. That is nothing volume. <laughs> that it, 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 like uh, yeah. People hear 4 million, they keep saying, well, that's not nothing. It is. It's fucking nothing, guys. <laughs> it's less than, it's, it's what NVIDIA sells in a month spread across a year yeah. for a laptop, desktop, and, and professional. I, yeah, wait, I mean, like, I, uh, I, like, I, like if I were to compare include all the other stuff NVIDIA sells as well in other segments. I mean, anyways, though, he goes, even if Arc's still gangbusters, do you think Intel will keep keep our hopes for a third GPU competitor? Do you think buying an Arc GPU, even if it isn't the best option, to help establish that third competitor is misguided? Absolutely. Buy the best product. Fuck these companies. Don't prop up bad products. Don't prop up Vega because you want to make AMD feel good about itself. Don't, don't prop up anything. Get it if it's good for you. If you bought Vega, maybe it's because you got it for a good deal. It has good non-gaming performance. That was the reason I got it. But do not get it just to, you know, <laughs> like... Especially right? a product that, like, as far as I can tell, and I'm sure it's going to improve over time, but barely works compared to the things it's against. Like, the from what I, I've seen, it's like the issues Intel Arc has are like the issues that uh, AMD had and nvidia had with some of their drivers in like the early the early 2010s where <laughs> people complained a ton about those and they've improved over time and now it's like well arc is just rehashing those issues and then some seemingly i don't know why you would want to buy that uh for worse price performance than what ampere and rdna2 currently have because i'm getting like their worst price performance or they're getting to a point where arc is just worse price performance and I don't know. They seem to want to claim this price performance kit crown, even though it it's not. They there. don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, when it comes to buying Arc to support Intel, I think the whole question is non consequential. They're going to sell out because they didn't make many of them. So don't worry about propping them up. They'll sell out. <sighs> yeah. I, I mean, I I don't know. It's like telling. It's like telling me Vita 
buy, I don't know, Bully to support Rockstar. And it's like, I think that's... <laughs> a lot of people like Bully. That's that's a mean thing to say. I'm not saying Bully is a bad game. I'm just saying it's not one of their best-selling games. And they are already a company that sells a ton of games. I don't think they need propping up by buying one of their le- less successful games. And I know it's yeah. not a perfect, like, a perfect analogy, but... Come on. It's no, like, and Intel is so much bigger than AMD. They don't need you to prop up the GPU division. The GPU division needs to make good GPUs, then you buy it. Now, in terms of will, that do you think they're going to do enough to keep your hopes alive? Uh, it depends if what your hopes are. I think they're going to keep pretending like everything's fine, no matter how many firings they announce soon and, you and know, whatever, right? Yeah, and if Battlenage comes out, and they all they have is one mid-range die, and it's actually good this time around, then buy it. <laughs> sure, yeah. You know, which I guess I will say that, best case scenario, you could see a situation where Battle Mage ends up being like a Polaris situation. It's mm-hmm. not really better at anything compared to the competition, but at least maybe, hopefully, this one works, <laughs> and it uh, they can make it in high volumes. But the fact is, they're not making a lot of Alchemist, so it just isn't that. And it's too soon to say if Battle Mage can be that. And it's so far away that it doesn't matter. But, it, at, you know, that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I keep saying, like, I don't know where people, if you watch my leak, they're not going to kill AXG. And I think they're going to keep driver development going at least two years. So the way I think about it is it's just like it's in hibernation. They're going to make some Battle Mage something. So they don't throw out the progress they're making on drivers. Heck, even just for tiles on a, APU, they should mm-hmm. not throw out this progress. So, no, they're, they're going to keep doing stuff and then we'll find out if they try to do something bigger with Celestial. But to be honest, it sounds like even if they are in hibernation now and you can have hope, the hope that you're having seems like they won't have a full generation until Druid, best case scenario in like 2026. So that's yeah. why I say effectively canceled. It's like, just stop worrying about ARC for the next few years. Like, they, we'll, look, we'll, we'll Maybe, come out of hibernate. We'll, we'll reassess in three years. But right now, this is basically done. Yeah. Um, all right. Jensen Wang, NVIDIA CEO, writes in. He says, with Zen 3 and Zen 4 not having any non-8 core CCX designs yet, will Zen 2 and lower still fill in the sub-8 core count designs? Or will AMD simply include 8 cores as a baseline for all designs moving forward? Right, and because they're using Zen 2 quad cores, because the design, because well, it is, it's its own four core CCX times two. So instead of designing in a quad core Zen 3, they've just been reusing the Zen 4 CCX and quad core APUs. Um, but the, also, Zen 2 takes up less space on the die, so that makes sense to me. Um, but remember, I already leaked a little Phoenix, Jensen. Little so, Phoenix. Or, or I think the technical code name is Phoenix 2. So I believe they have designed a quad-core version of Zen 4. And I think that's just done then, and they can just keep reusing that. Additionally, I'm starting to get more information on Zen 4C, and I think Zen 4C could occupy that. Like, I would almost Hmm. wonder if Little Phoenix uses a quad-core version of Zen 4C, because that thing would be a tiny (laughs) quad-core CCX, and that almost seems like a better... Because I'm not sure Zen 4C is that much worse than Zen 4, uh, from what I'm hearing this past weekend, guys. So... Uh, we'll have to see, you know, uh, but whether Little Phoenix uses Zen 4C quad cores or Zen 4, it's a quad core design. So they they have quad cores moving forward. No, they're not going to pair Zen 2 quad cores with RDNA 4 APUs. <laughs> um, and all right, that is it, Dan. That is 
warned everyone this was going to be a longer episode. There's just that much. I'm a little worried news will just break about something with RDNA 3 or something before this podcast comes out. But if it does, whatever. That'll be analyzed in another video. We'll have more podcasts coming out. We've got a very exciting guest coming on. So uh, where we're going to discuss the death of Optane. This is a memory expert who's been VP at multiple companies. Uh, so remember, if you support us on Patreon, you'll be able to ask him questions. We'll also be talking about Intel's earnings. And he, again, he's this guy is definitely qualified to talk about that stuff. Um, all of that's there for you if you support us on Patreon. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel, ring the bell button, and uh, you know, support our sponsors if you need any of their products. They really do, you know, especially the ones that have repeat ads. They they've been good to us. Like we wouldn't be doing sponsors that are in almost every podcast unless they're easy to work with and you know and and they've so far supported the community well so yeah all that's there any final words dan no i don't think so well thanks for listening thanks for watching have a good week everybody bye this podcast was brought to you by the youtube channel and website moore's law is dead moore's law is dead and broken silicon are trademarks of their creator tom that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com but as i said this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans the following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Mohamed Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Jeremy, Jan Rauner, Daniel High, Treadbird, Ryan Riglin, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Alev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spatham G. Spantum, Jonathan Lord, Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Moses, Zeres, Gregory S. Eckert, Dominique Cock, 
Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lavoy, Hartforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Descario, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Moss, Greg, Autrini, Patrick Crow, Amy Will Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Demi Peterson, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Halbuma, Norithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Cole Attic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, DeGrid, Michelle Powell, D31337 Antics, Joseph Kelly, Noen Nucuela, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerome Ferriera, Mayor, DeSis, Thomas Steve, Precision, DNA Tech, Nicholas Alexandra, John O'Shea, Rice Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushbot, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Nith Rizink, David Eastland, Cal, Andre Shocks, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, Joker, James I. Radder, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shin, Justin Bussell, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shade, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Samuel Park, Radiant Technologies Group, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen Angima, Mark Central, Derek Lambie, Michael, Fours and Pours, John, Robert Davidson, Space Channel 5, and of course, thank you to Zahara for the music.